What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and Riv. And this is now episode 67. In this episode, we will talk about our concerns with the Nets and Bucks, the Knicks trading for Derrick Rose, who the Lakers should trade for, if the Raptors should trade Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler's return, our thoughts on LaMelo Ball, how the Kings and Spurs are playing, Donovan Mitchell's rise, and Carmelo Anthony's underappreciated career. This is now episode 67. It feels like we haven't all been here to record an episode in a while, but we're all here. First time going live. This is pretty cool. And of course, <laughs> if you guys are listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts, we appreciate you guys. So how are you guys feeling? I'm doing all right, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he's laughing about. Yeah, I don't know what he's laughing about. We uh we found ourselves in some uh in some hot water last night. Yes, we'll, we'll we'll address that shortly. I'm feeling good today. So if you guys don't know, if you guys are listening right now, oh, that, that's your dad, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> one of our one of our videos went viral on TikTok. We're gonna talk about it in a few, but before we start, if you guys would care to go on Apple Podcasts and give us a review, that will help us out tremendously. We have 12 reviews so far, and I know there are more than 12 people listening. So we have to get that number up. And also, I checked our ratio to subscribe versus not subscribe. How many people watch our stuff that are subscribed to us? It's about like 20% that are subscribed and 80% that are not. So if you guys would care to subscribe as well, that would help us out a lot. But we appreciate everybody that's been sticking with us, especially when we have not been going live because going live has been one of the funnest parts of doing this podcast and I'm just glad that we can be back. So if you guys <laughs> want to get right into it, we can get right into it and address the I situation. Up in a good mood today, you know. Really good mood. <clears throat> okay. So to start <laughs> off, Bradley Beal. We had made a segment about it. We made two segments about it. One time it was with Jack, and both of you guys were here. And it was about Bradley Beal and where he ranked amongst the top NBA players. We all do not believe he's a top 15 player. In fact, in our group chat, we named about 20 that are debatable. And I will say this. The very next week, when we made another video when John was filling in for Jack, and it was Riv, John, and I, we had made a video about Bradley Beal. And I said that Bradley Beal is doing something that is unprecedented. He's leading the league in scoring, but he's not a superstar, and he's not a top 10 player. I then clipped that video, and the one minute of that video I posted on my TikTok, and in, in a little over like four or five days, the video now has 455,000 views. It got reposted on Bald is Life, and they have 4 million TikTok <laughs> followers. So our, the clip went viral. It somehow got in the hands of a, a Wizards, Wizards reporter. Yeah. Yes, it got in. It got into Wizards Twitter, and a Wizards reporter tweeted it out. And then Bradley Beal's wife responded, 
She responded to it, and I think I have the tweet right now. This reminds me of Toronto Nation. When when the po- when the video got posted on TikTok on the Balls Life TikTok, I kind of had like a thought of maybe it would end up getting to this point because I had seen Bradley Beal's wife on Twitter all year. Like yes. she she's defending Bradley. She's Beal very defensive of Bradley Beal all year. That's and her I give husband. Her, yeah, I give her credit for that. That's awesome. But I need to ride that woman like that. So this is the tweet. She she cursed in it, so I'm not gonna say the curse words. Uh. She said corny as f. Jealousy <laughs> is just love and hate at the same time. These the same loser men who would and she put men in like the, the things <laughs> who would probably run behind his car in the middle of the street to ask for a picture or autograph, all while saying, "I'm your biggest fan, bro. You're the goat." Yeah, I lame and. Personally, me, I would never run behind Bradley Beal's car to chase down an autograph. I said it in a video that I made earlier that there's only a few celebrities that I do it for. Kendrick Lamar, Drake, James Harden. I'm wearing a James (laughs) Harden jersey right now. LeBron, of course, he's top of the tier. There are a few guys I do it for, but I definitely would not do it for Bradley Beal. Listen, I'm not going to sit here and act like if I saw him like just walking down the street, I would, like, big time, be a, you know, just keep walking. That's different. Like, if I saw him, I'd be like, oh, Bradley Beal, like, yeah, what's literally up, it. bro? Like, that's, you know, that's different. Like, it would be awesome, but I'm not going to, you know, like, he, he's another I man. just feel like. The reason I, the re, sorry to cut you off, but the reason I know that I wouldn't do that is because I've played video games with professional athletes before, and I'm not fanboyish at all. Like It's just a whatever to me. If I saw Bradley Beal just walking casually, he's just chilling, I might not even address him. It really depends on the situation because I'm a person that I don't like to be a burden to other people, regardless if you're a celebrity or not. It really just depends. Like, I know there are some people who, when they go out to dinner and they see celebrities, they go up to them and ask for an autograph. I have nothing against that. But personally, for me, it's just not my personality. Yeah. I just I just think when it comes to something like that, it depends on your love for that type of person. So, like, like for you, James Harden, you oh, my God, like, that's James Harden. That's my, like, me, Steph Curry, I'd be like, oh, my God, that's Steph Curry. Like, a guy like Bradley Beal, who, who's a nice player, but he doesn't have the that quite fame or stardom. He doesn't hit that fan level for me. I wouldn't just sit there. I'd just be like, oh, wow, guys, look, it's, it's Bradley Beal. You know, he's in the NBA, good stuff. But I wouldn't really run behind his car. It's kind of weird. Yeah, and, yes, and listen, I wasn't here, but I would have agreed with you guys on the take that he's not a top 15 player, and I don't think that that's meant with any disrespect. I just think it's more I I think it's more of an indictment on how talented the NBA has gotten that there's 15 players better than a guy Who's that can score 34. 32 points 34 points a game like that that's incredible. Just, and it's well, no just, disrespect just, to Bradley Beal, the league is just great right now. I don't mean the you know, bars on Bradley Bill again, but just to clarify, we named fifteen that are just not debatable. I think we named a good five, ten more that were legit debatable in terms of leveling yeah. at Bradley Bill. And it's no shame. The league is talented as hell right now. Yeah. Somebody I, in the comments asked, Is Bill a top twenty five player? I think he's top twenty five. Yeah. I just don't think he's top fifteen. I think top fifteen is different. But to address the other tweet that she tweeted as well. Oh boy. She said, any dummy with a mic headset <laughs> and social media platform feel they classify as blogger, journalist, or podcast. I just want y'all to keep that same energy behind the screen, the same when y'all run into these people in the streets, because the D writing is at Ooh. an all-time high. Um, This is what I have to say to that. 
I don't really care about the comments that she said, but I kind of, I'm not going to lie and say that I didn't take it kind of in a disrespectful manner because she did intend to be disrespectful. Uh, well, I will say to that is this. I don't think that we are just anybody on a mic and with the platform because I take a lot of pride in how far that we've come. It took us a year to get to a thousand subscribers. And in two months, we've doubled that. We're almost at 3,000. I take a lot of pride in how much work we put into this just to give everybody a glimpse that's watching on how this goes down. We record two podcast episodes a week. We have to take a day to research, to watch games. We talk about football and basketball. We all go to school full-time. Riv works a full-time job. I work a part-time job on the weekends. Jack is commentating for his school, Montclair State, all the time. I'm trying to get into extracurricular activities at Scene Hall as well. So we aren't just some people who are getting on here and saying whatever. Everything we say, we research heavily and if we're wrong, sometimes we are wrong. If we don't know something, we don't know something, but I don't think that this podcast and I don't think that this podcast has been built off of hot takes. I think this has been built off of genuine conversation and the people who listen to us regularly know that, yeah. that we aren't like that. We aren't screaming at each other. Sometimes Jack and I, River and I get into heated debates, <laughs> but for the most part, this is a genuine conversation and we try to be as objective as we can be. And yeah, I just think that, you know, we aren't dummies with the platform. I just think we hit a nerve. You know, it's her husband. I, I know she's seen the slander all throughout. His team's losing. He's being overrated by a lot of fans. I just think with the way that they proceeded to put us out there on Twitter as if we said a bad thing or as if we were disrespecting him, which we weren't, we were just happy stating our opinions like everybody does. I don't like the way she did it, but at the same time, I get it. It is her husband. She's going to ride or die for her man. So it, it's respectable. So she, The way she could have came about is we could have had a conversation about it, but she just exactly. came with all types and of I, You know, I, I don't even, I don't even uh, expect to have a conversation about Bradley uh, with Bradley Beal's wife about this subject, but the Wizards reporter that did repost our video, and then when we tried to have a civil debate with her, about who were who do you think Bradley Beal's better than? She blocked us on instant. Anybody that liked my tweet responding to her, she blocked. I think that was very petty, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I thought that was very petty because, one— She you, ran from the grind. Because, one, you're reposting our video, and you can't even respond to us. when we. So yeah. you can repost our video and try to call us names and try to bash us, but when we try to respond, you don't want any smoke. You want to block us. I think it's kind of childish. Yeah, I mean, listen, anybody can, can want to be in their own soundbox, and that's cool, but it's just hypocritical to then call other people out, saying, like, who are these guys? You know, what do they know? And I, I get it. Like, people can't possibly understand how much goes into this and the preparation that we do for these episodes. And like I said, how much goes into what we do. It's not like we're just coming here for an hour a week and throwing some audio on a video and then calling it quits. Oh, a lot goes into it, and... People won't get that, but it's all right because at the end of the day, we know. And like you said, I respect her sticking up for her husband. Like, that's dope. But, you know, it, like you said, especially for the reporter, to throw that out there and then not be able to have a civil conversation, that's crazy to me. If, if she's a podcast. We could have went podcast versus podcast. We could have had a little little <laughs> debate, but she just took yeah. it and blocked us. You, you want to know what's the thing, too, is that I, I take so much pride on the platform that we have built so far <laughs> because – None of us work for the NBA. 
None of us work for a professional uh, organization. None of us work for a big corporation or organization. This lady, the Wizards reporter, works for the Washington Wizards, and we have built a bigger platform. And I take a lot of pride in that because we have built this from the mud. We have got, <laughs> we have literally got this from the mud. Nobody gave us any handouts. You see the TV right here, the lighting that's coming, the camera we're using, the microphones we're, we're using, the interface we use. This has all come out of pockets, out of our pockets. We have invested it, invested in this. Nobody's investing in us. We bet on ourselves, and I'm pretty damn proud of that. Good bet. Good bet. So somebody in the comments just asked, uh, why, it, why, do, why do we consider Harden a top five player because he's an elite scorer, an elite playmaker, but uh, Beal, somehow we think that Harden's way better than Beal. I'll say this right now. Um, I don't think that anybody has considered Harden a consensus top five player. I have because I'm a Harden consensus fan. Consensus superstar, definitely. Yeah, though. consensus superstar, yes. But nobody has considered Harden a, top, a consensus top five player even when he's been in the MVP race almost all these years. The difference between Bradley Beal and James Harden is that you can genuinely say that James Harden has made players around him better and he has taken his team to the playoffs. Bradley Beal has not done that. In his years in Washington, when they did go to the playoffs, John Wall was the best player there. And now you see you, you see James Harden now go to a situation in Brooklyn, take a back seat, and he's averaging 23 points and 11 assists. Yeah. He's changed his game to fit what the team needs him to do. I would even go as far as to say you've seen James Harden with worse, a worser team than Bradley Bill in a go very loaded West and make the playoffs, whether it be an eighth seed or a high seed still. You can you know if you put Harden on the team, they're going to at least make the playoffs. You even see Steph Curry in the West with a worser team than Bradley Bill, or at least equal. He's in the playoff. Hunt. It's just to be a superstar, you have to be able to do stuff like that. And Bradley Bill's team is honestly worse when he's on the court in the defensive end. That also plays a factor. He's not a good playmaker. So it's like the scoring is cool, but it's a lot in blowouts and losses. Yeah, and, and even if we're not talking about the winning, because I think that's one of the more important aspects. We've seen James Harden drag a, a pretty bad Rockets team to the playoffs yep. before. Before Chris Paul was there, before Westbrook was there, we saw him bring a Rockets team to the playoffs. I would say that just breaking them down player by player, Harden is a far better rebounder, a far better defender, a far better playmaker. And so even if you want to say they're in the same tier scoring-wise, which I don't think they are, I would have Harden at least a step ahead of Bradley Beal. I think Harden is up there a top three scorer in the league right now at worst. Even if you put them even in that playing field, everything else James Harden does better. So it's just a totally different story. But this was our segment addressing the situation of our video going viral and Bradley Beal's wife um, coming at us and tweeting about <laughs> it. So that's it for that. Uh, we're over it. We probably are not going to address it ever again. <laughs> and now for everybody that's watching this episode on, on the live stream right now, uh, we apologize that we won't be able to answer your questions that you have in the comments. But right now we're just going to get into the show. So... Enjoy it. This is the first topic of the day. The New York Knicks traded for Derrick Rose. That's Rivers' favorite player of all time outside of Steph Curry. And the Knicks acquired Derrick Rose. The Pistons acquired Dennis Smith Jr. and a second-round pick. So, Riv, I'll start with you. What do you think Derrick Rose brings to the Knicks, and what do you think the Pistons got in this trade? Well, I think the Pistons just 
got off of Derrick Rose's contract. I think it was nothing major out of them. They just wanted to get him out of there. They wanted to see D. Rose finish the last leg of his career. And Thibodeau really wanted D. Rose badly. I think for the Knicks, you get a guy who can score off the bench, who's willing to mentor and show that leadership role to the young guys like Quigley and R.J. Barrett. And he can definitely teach him a thing or two because he was in that Thibodeau system for a very long time. You also get a guy who's going to score, come off the bench. He can play make. He's not really a good defender in the Knicks' pride on defense now, but they're not that good offensively. So this is a guy who can bring that up a bit. But I think just mainly the mentorship qualities, the leadership quality. You know, he's seen the ups and downs in the NBA. He's been at the top of the helm. He's been at the bottom. So I think bringing that to the game and explaining that to the young guys, I think that would definitely help them out. I yeah. love this move. Uh, you want to go first, Jack? You go. Okay, I love this move because this means that Alfred Payton might be one step to getting trading, one <laughs> one step closer to getting traded. Uh, Alfred Payton's playing; he's playing great. He's having a career year, but I just I think his lack of shooting really hurts the Knicks. But I think this was a perfect move for what you just stated. Derrick Rose is going to be the perfect mentor. When he got to New York, he told Emmanuel quickly and Obi Toppin that he was here to be their mentor. And he's been a really good player for the past couple of seasons. He's not that same MVP that he once was. That was a long, long time ago. And it just makes me realize how much older I'm getting. <laughs> but this past year, he's averaging 14 points per game, shooting 42% from the three, 42% from the field and 33% from the three. In 2018 and 2019, he averaged 18 points per game. And when you look at the Knicks roster, they need another score and when they faced the Bulls, I believe they faced them. Derek, that was Derrick Rose's first game. Oh no, it was against the Heat. Derrick Rose's first game with the Knicks, it was against the Heat, and Derrick Rose took Austin Rivers' minutes. And Austin Rivers had an explosion against Utah, but ever since then he's been really up and down. And I kind of like this lineup of Derrick Rose coming off the bench with Obi Toppin and Emmanuel Quickly because Emmanuel, Emmanuel Quickly he's been a really good scorer, but. He's not much of a playmaker, and Obi Toppin needs a veteran point guard to get him to his spots when he's coming into the game. Yeah, and I think you guys hit on the most important part of the deal. Obviously, D-Rose can still be a big contributor for any team in the league, especially like a championship caliber team, which is where I thought the Pistons would end up sending him. But he's been with Tom Thibodeau every step of his career, everywhere that Tom Thibodeau has been a head coach. Derrick Rose has been there, so you know... They had that connection. Derrick Rose knows what Tom Thibodeau wants, and he just brings that aspect of leadership, mentorship, and especially on a team with some important young guys that they need to develop, starting with Emmanuel Quickly, followed by R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, even guys like Kevin Knox, maybe Mitchell Robinson. All those guys can use a veteran figure in the locker room like Derrick Rose, who's been around the league. He's seen the highs and the lows, and I think that that is the main thing that this move brings the Knicks. I don't know if the Knicks are a playoff team. The way the standings look, like I think they'll I think they could sneak into one of those playing games. But I don't think that that's what this move is about. I think it's about <laughs> growing their young talent and looking towards the future, which is great for the Knicks because I feel like this isn't something that we've seen out of them over the past decade. It's all been, you know, in the mindset of let's win right now. And this is kind of, okay, let's play the long game. We see where we're at, and we see what we need. And then for the Pistons, like Riff said, you get off Derrick Rose's contract, and in the deal, you get back Dennis Smith Jr. Does he ever pan out? No. It would be a long shot at this point, but he's still got potential. 
I mean, you, you take a shot on them in Detroit where they don't really have anything to lose at this point, and it's better than having Derrick Rose at, at 30 years old, you know, sitting on the roster, only getting older. I'll be honest. I actually like Dennis Smith Jr. going to the Pistons more than I do Derrick Rose to the Knicks because even though the Knicks got Derrick Rose, there it really it's not certain that they will make the playoffs. I think it gives them a better chance. But now they have to trade Alfred Payton, I'm not sure where he's going to go. And maybe they try to trade Austin Rivers. I'm not too sure. I like this for the Pistons because we've seen another guy before this season. We thought he was a lost cause, Josh Jackson. Mm. We all thought Josh Jackson was a lost cause. He goes to Detroit, and he's not playing phenomenal, but he's he's reviving his career. And I think that's a credit to Dwayne Casey and the culture that he's building in Detroit. You look at somebody else that's thriving over there, DeLon Wright. He's doing his thing. Killian Hayes is out with an injury right now. Dennis Smith Jr. was gonna be in the G League. He wasn't even gonna he wasn't even getting minutes. So now he has an opportunity, and I think he's hungry for that. And Dwayne Casey is going to the is going to bring the best out of Dennis Smith Jr. I think that he's not he's going to shock us a little bit. I think he's gonna shock us a little bit. And I'd also say I would love to see Alfred Payton now moved because the one criticism I've had of Tom Thibodeau this year is the rotations. I don't love how he uses his minutes some nights, and I feel like Emmanuel quickly needs to get more consistent minutes. And having Rivers, Peyton, Rose, so who, quickly like it'll so be tough to manage then? all those minutes. So if you could move move Alfred Peyton and maybe Rivers, but I don't think Rivers is actually playing well. So he hasn't been playing. Well, who start? Who starts then? You move out Peyton, you would put Rose at the one to start. I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind starting quickly, yeah, honestly. Because I think Peyton fits their scheme defensively. You know, he's been really good defensively this year. And I think that's what the Knicks predicate on right now, defense. And I think, you know, Rose coming off the bench with those young guys. I mean, you've seen it against the Heat. Obi Toppin looked better than he did in most nights. Quickly was more comfortable playing that two-guard spot while Rose was running the one. So I think him coming off the bench with the young guys is the best-case scenario for you guys. I mean, Peyton... I don't see him having a future there. I just think this is a rental year. But keeping both those guys, I think right now, because I think you guys are a playing team. You guys could definitely be a playing team. I, I like teams that play defense. So I think you guys could definitely get in. And best case scenario, you do get in. You know, Derrick Rose also brings that playoff experience. It's a good first. Even if you guys lose, it's a good first step for the young guys to get that playoff atmosphere feeling and to get that experience early. The only reason I say that is because, like, I'm looking at Emmanuel Quickly's game log right now, and he had 21 minutes last night against the Heat, which I guess is all right, but then he went 17 minutes, 13 minutes, 13 minutes. Oh, I can explain that. That's a Thibodeau thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so, just, like, I don't, I don't love that. Yeah, he, has, he, has, he has problems with playing. He's like a Popovich in the sense of playing rookies that aren't, like, you know. I, I personally, I think it will be beneficial to give Emmanuel quickly Me too. a set amount of minutes that is near or above 20 minutes a night. I think he should be getting that. He's been playing well enough, and it will only help his development. Yeah, I agree with that too, but I also think it, it depends on the night because quickly is a streaky guy sometimes. So if Thibodeau feels like he doesn't have it going certain nights, he'll, he won't play him that much. But, you know, I think for the Knicks, it gives him a better chance to make the playoffs or play in the playing game. And for the Pistons, they're just trying to get some young talent in the building. Another team that is looking maybe to make a trade or two is the Toronto Raptors. Kyle Lowry is a question mark for the Toronto Raptors right now. 
there are some people that feel like the Raptors should trade Lowry. There are others that feel like they should keep him. And me personally, for as loyal as Kyle Lowry has been in Toronto, with Toronto, he's been loyal to the city. They won a championship with him. I just feel like it's only right to let him play out his contract there. I think it's the perfect scenario. But the smart decision would be to trade Kyle Lowry. He's having a good year again, 17 points per game, six assists, about six rebounds per game. He's shooting great from the three. And right now, they have a bunch of players that they have a lot of money invested in, like Fred, OG, Pascal, um, Norman Powell got paid. And then they got some young guys like Malachi Flynn that maybe they want to give a chance. To me, I have two trade packages that could maybe suit the Raptors and also this team would get Kyle Lowry. The first one is the Clippers. The trade pack, the trade would be Ivica Zubac, Lou Williams, and Pat Bev for, and no, Zubac, Lou Williams, Pat Bev, and Cobb Gelly for Lowry. I think the Raptors need a center. Lou Will gives them some scoring. Pat Bev gives them defense. But I don't know if that's too much to give for a rental in Kyle Lowry and a point guard who is aging. I think that is a little bit too much. And then another trade, the 76ers, they would give up Danny Green, Tony Bradley, and Matisse Thybul for and Mike Scott for Kyle Lowry. I think that makes the most sense. You get Danny Green back. Thybul is a good defender, and Tony Bradley is a big man. But I don't know if that's enough for Kyle Lowry, and I don't know if the 76ers want to do that. It's just really hard for a team to trade for Lowry because of his contract. He's getting paid $30 million a year, so you got to make the salaries work, or you got to try to hopefully trade him to a team whose salary isn't that bad. But every team that wants Lowry is a contending team, and most contending team salaries aren't that good. I would I would say this. I think I think Lowry's probably going to play out this year with the Toronto Raptors. That's the bet I would bank on. I think he's going to play out the rest of this year and then walk into free agency. I think he might, honestly, might take a pay cut and play with the Clippers next year. You know, there's been speculations about that, him and Kawhi are good friends. Him and Serge Ibaka are good friends. I don't think he gets cr- traded for your deal just because I think um, that is a little bit too much. And that w- that's pretty much gutting their bench. And Zubak has been playing really well. Lou Will is starting to get it going. And Pat Bev is their starting point guard. And he's been good for them. So I don't think I don't think the, I think the Clippers are going to ride with their team for the rest of the year. I would definitely I, – I, I like the Sixers deal. But like I said, I don't know if that one is enough. But I do think Kyle Lowry is going to end up playing the rest of this year. I don't think Toronto should trade him because he is going to be a rental, so it's going to be hard to trade for a 34-year-old point guard even though he doesn't look like he's aging at all. 35 at the deadline. Yeah, he doesn't look like he's aging at all, but he's still that age, you know, $30 million, so you're going to have to give up something. And I think Toronto still, you know, has a chance to make some noise in the playoffs. They're making a run, so I I think Kyle Lowry is going to play out the rest of his contract. Yeah, in a perfect world, I think it would make the most sense for the Raptors to move on from from Kyle Lowry, expiring contract, getting older, and a, a guy that a competing team would want, especially a team like the Clippers that are still looking for that playmaker. But the contract is the real wedge in between reality and fantasy, and I just don't see it happening. You look at the Clippers package, I don't know with the money if it will be worth it for either team. The Clippers giving up that much player capital or the Raptors getting back I think lesser talent than they should be getting for a guy like Kyle Lowry but 
I just don't see it working out with the money. And I think they can make the. I think they're going to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, I know they got off to a really slow start. They've been playing much better since and hitting their stride. You get into the Eastern Conference playoffs, and outside of like the Nets, the Bucks, and the Sixers, I don't think anybody is playing great basketball right now. So who knows? You get in, maybe win a first round matchup, get to round two, get the young guys some more experience. And wait, Toronto and, win a first round matchup. I'm just mm-hmm. talking I'm just, hypothetically. I'm just, I'm just I think if they face Indiana, they could. Yeah, I, I think they're definitely a playoff team if they keep Kyle Lowry around. I think they could be a playoff team without Kyle Lowry too, but you know, I think they ride out the rest of the season with him and then he becomes a free agent. See, for me, I think the Raptors, no doubt about it, are going to make the playoffs. They're the fifth seed right now. They're 12-13, and 13, and the teams below them are the Pacers, the Hornets, and the Hawks. I mean, I don't think that the Hornets are a lock to be. I, I think there are six teams that are playoff locks right now that I think are going to make the playoffs. The Nets, the Bucks, the Sixers, the Celtics, the Raptors, the Pacers, and then everybody else is a toss-up. I would even say seven because I think the Heat yeah, are going to come yeah. back storming in a, in a few, and they're going to take a playoff spot. So, you know, I'm not really worried about the Hornets I or say Hawks. Five. Five playoff locks. I say that because you see one injury to Miami, and they were horrible. You've seen injuries to Indiana. They've been up and down these past couple weeks. That's So that's why I would say five teams. I know one injury won't affect them that much where they would, they're still going to be a playoff lock. Philly has put themselves so high above the Nets. The Nets are going to make the playoffs. Boston, they're going to make the playoffs. I think those teams, though, specifically, one injury can put them in a really bad spot. I mean, for me, I just think the Raptors are a playoff lock, and the teams below them, nobody should be worried about those teams jumping ahead of the Raptors. The Raptors have had no home game this season and probably will have no home game all season because they are playing in Tampa Bay. So this is an adjustment for them, and I think they're finally getting used to it. I think they'll be fine, and they're going to start going on on an even better run right now. I think I have them finishing around like fourth or fifth seed. And like I said... I'd let Kyle Lowry play out the year and finish his contract with Toronto instead of trading him. Agreed. The Lakers. They lost two key players in free agency in Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee. They did get back Marcus Gasol, and Marcus Gasol has been very good defensively, defensively for them, but their problem is that now they don't have enough rim protection. Gasol is an amazing defender, but he's not a very great rim protector because he can't jump very high. So this had me questioning whether the Lakers should make a trade at the trade deadline and who should they trade for? In my opinion, three players jump out to me. Andre Drummond, Nerlens Noel, and Hassan Whiteside on the Sacramento Kings. So I think these two, these two trades make the most sense. The Knicks... They would, uh, Lakers would get Nerlens Noel and Austin Rivers, mm-hmm. and the Knicks. This would the Knicks uh, would get a uh, Kyle Kuzma, Gerald Dudley, Alfonso McKinney, and Quinn Cook. And I actually have a uh, another one. In this trade, in the Knicks trade, the Lakers get Nerlens Noel, Austin Rivers, and Reggie Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think Reggie Bullock, he's a good shooter. He's a three. He's a good defender. And then the Knicks would get Kyle Kuzma, 
Dudley, McKinney, and Cook, just a bunch of cal- salary cap fill-ins. My second trade was a trade with the Kings. Um, the Lakers get Hassan Whiteside, and this might be very uh, this might hurt Lakers fans' feelings, but the Kings get Taylor Horton Tucker, <laughs> and and the pick or two. And I think Taylor Horton Tucker. I, I saw something on Twitter. I saw something on Twitter. From Dev in the lab. If you don't know him, he makes phenomenal no, he's, he's content. Yeah. He, he's really a, a basketball <clears throat> mastermind. He knows what he's talking about. He says teams usually when they want to shop a player, a young player, oh, I know what you're they about. play they play the team plays them more than usual. And I think that's kind of happening with Taylor Horton Tucker, and he's been getting some media attention. It maybe are the Lakers playing him more because they want him to have some trade value to maybe get a rim protector. I think Hassan Whiteside and Taylor Horton Tuck for Taylor Horton Tucker is is a steal for the Lakers in my opinion. I think it's good for the Kings because the Kings now have two guards off the bench. Corey Joseph has been very inconsistent, but the Lakers, I think this is a win for them. Taylor Horton Tucker is a fantastic young player, but Lakers are trying to win now. They're trying to two p. They need a rim protector. Hassan Whiteside, I think, is like he averages like one point five blocks per game, somewhere around there. I think this would be a no-brainer for the Lakers if I'm trying to win this year. Taylor Horn Tucker is a fantastic young player, but if I'm thinking about strictly now, I would do the trade. I understand if there's one guy in the league you're going to put locker room presence on is LeBron James, but I know Hassan Whiteside has had a lot of locker room issues everywhere around the league he's gone, and that's one of the biggest reasons why he hasn't been playing in Sacramento, for, for as, or at least not playing as much as he should be because – He's just is a locker room problem. And I don't know if that's something the Lakers want to invite in to a team that's 20 and six right now. And even without a move, I think would cruise through the Western conference. Talking about regular season. I'm talking about playoffs. I don't, cruise I don't see do the playoffs. Maybe cruise is a stretch. I don't <laughs> see any team beating them in a seven game series. I see maybe them. the Clippers, maybe the Clippers. Utah fans aren't gonna like you. No, I know they don't like me already. So um, I, I, I think that's hot. That's a hot take because I think the Clippers are something to be fearful of. I, think I, the I said maybe the Clippers. You said maybe. I wouldn't say maybe. I think I don't know, man. Um, you said trade Kyle Kuzma to the Knicks. Yes. Uh, I think Kyle Kuzma's playing great, but he's averaging ten points per game. I think Reggie Bullock can give you that. Um, <laughs> Austin Rivers is a gritty guy. He can, you know, guard. He's a really good defender. And you get Nerlens Noel. Nerlens Noel right now is averaging two blocks per game. He's top five in blocks. And he doesn't even play much. He plays 17 minutes per game. Did you have a Drummond package? No, I, I, was, I did this all on the trade machine. So these yeah. are all trades that and work what about, salary cap-wise. What about a trade for JaVale McGee or wait till they buy him out? That could work. But ju- just because I think that uh, there are some... They let JaVale McGee go, so I don't think they'd bring him back. And That's just my opinion yeah, of it. They also benched him in the playoffs last year, essentially. For yeah, all I time. think if AD, he goes... AD could play the five. If McGee goes to a team, I think it's probably going to be the Nets. Um, Another uh, option out there is Bismack Biombo. Yeah, I was thinking of those two names popped in my head when I, we were talking trade. I was thinking Bismack Biombo and JaVale McGee, you know, some guys who are big men, high flyers for their position that can get blocked shots. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't know if I'm really sold on trading Kuzma. Just because he's been playing really well. The Horton one, I get it, though, because I, I know what you're talking about. I read what Devin Lab said that when the young guys play a lot, so they're about to be traded. So I, I get that part. 
He's been playing good too, though. I, I don't. I, I think they're good where they are now. I know they lack rim protection, but I think their team is set up pretty fabulous right now. I don't think in the West, outside of the Joker, you don't really have to worry about. Oh, and well, Rudy Gobert, but you don't really have to worry about any offensive elite big men. So I think against the Clippers, they're probably going to play small anyways. A trade that could work is trading Wesley Matthews to the Knicks for Nerlens Noel. But I don't know if they do that. I, and I don't think the Knicks would trade, would get, or would want Wesley Matthews straight up. Maybe they would because they do need more shooting. And I think Wesley Matthews brings that in defense. But I'm not sure they would do that. These are all trades that work with the trade machine. So these work under the salary. Obviously, these teams know their ins and outs and rules and how to bend that. But from the knowledge that I know, this these are the trades that can work. I think Nerlens Noel and Hassan Whiteside are two targets that they should go after. Do you think Biombo is going to get bought out? I think Biombo be I think Biombo stays. I think Biombo is in trade speculation talks just because he's a guy who can protect the rim, but I don't there has no been that there's no there's been no discussion of Bismack Biombo getting traded and the Hornets actively shopping him because he's huge to what they do. I think here. if they were they weren't as good as they were right now, he would definitely be in the talks. And we'll see where they're at at the trade deadline. But if I was the Lakers, honestly, the only guys I would look at would be buyout market guys. I don't think I would mess with this roster too much. They've been doing really well. And I think, more importantly, come playoff time, they'll go to that Anthony Davis to the five lineup anyway, like they did last year and were so successful with. I You would have to imagine by then Anthony Davis will start to find his rhythm a little bit, which he's been struggling to do this season. He just got hurt. But, you know, I think that's the most, like, that's what they're going to be relying on in the playoffs. So I wouldn't move too many assets to get a five who is probably going to have his minutes cut into come playoff time. Yesterday, the Milwaukee Bucks faced the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns beat them 125 to 124. Giannis had 47 points, 11 rebounds, and five assists. And even with his gaudy stats, when the when the game was in his final possession and Giannis got the ball and he dribbled to the free throw line and shot a free throw line jumper, I screamed. And I screamed because I had money on the game. I was betting on the game. I'm newly into betting now. And Did you win anything yesterday? No, I did not. And I was newly into betting. Giannis shot a jump shot for the win. And once he shot it, I knew that he wasn't going to make it. And Devin Booker was under the same impression. And that's where this topic is coming from. What do you think the biggest concern for the Milwaukee Bucks is? For me, I'll just say it right now. I think my biggest concern with the Milwaukee Bucks is that they their best player is not their closer. Chris Middleton is the guy that you're going to give the ball to when you need a last second shot, especially from the three. And... I know, Riv, you like that Giannis got the ball because he needs to be more comfortable in those situations. But I think what's going to hurt them right now is that Giannis is not a closer and he has not been a closer to this point in his career. Yeah, I want him, just like Riv tweeted last night, I want Giannis taking all of those shots in the regular season because it kind of reminds me of Jason Tatum getting the last second shot against Giannis on, I believe, opening night or the night after opening night. 
like that's a shot that you give your guy early in the season to let him know you're our guy. Like you're going to get that shot the rest of the season. Get that confidence up. And even though he missed it, you put it in his hands. It's not like oh, wow. now the, it's not like the locker room is going to be questioning now. Like, is it Chris Middleton? Is it Giannis? You know, who who is our go-to guy down the stretch? Um, so I think that even though it didn't go in and it didn't look pretty, it was a, a smart move to give him the ball in that final possession. Um, but I agree. It, Giannis has to get better at closing out games. There's no question about it. And I'm not usually a guy to buy into playoff struggles or somebody folding in the playoffs, but it's got to be a concern looking back two playoffs in a row now and seeing a pretty clear blueprint on how to stop the Giannis Antetokounmpo-led Bucks, And it's a tough blueprint to match, but the blueprint's there, and Giannis has to be able to work outside of the box to, you know, work work around that. And he hasn't shown the ability to do that to this point, so it would be a concern. But still, to me, the Bucks are the one of the two scariest teams in the East to me as a Net fan. I was always under the belief that if the Bucks, if your closer in the game is Chris Middleton, you won't go very far. I used to preach that. And then, like I said last night when I tweeted it, I, I want Giannis taking that shot. He has to get comfortable taking that shot. He's their franchise player. He's the best player on the team. He needs to be taking a shot. And I thought it was a good shot. He's just, jump shot is just broke. I thought it was a good pull-up. He had enough space to hit the shot. He just can't shoot. And that is going to lead to why I think the Bucks have these issues. It's Giannis' limited skill. I think that's going to always haunt them. Giannis, his inability to shoot the jump shot, whether it be the three ball or the free throw, he can't. Like he just can't shoot outside the paint. And it it it, it kind of reminds me of Shaq, like in a sense. But Shaq was a center. This guy's kind of a wing. So it's weird that a wing can't shoot like that. But I think with this team, you know, Chris Middleton being your closer, it's going to be hard to finish games. And now with the Nets having three of the top five, six closers in the NBA in Harden, Kyrie, and KD. Jason Tatum is starting to fill up that role as a closer. Jimmy Butler, we know he's a closer. It's going to be hard to beat these teams down the stretch when you have a guy like Chris Middleton taking those shots. I disagree with you. I don't think Giannis is a wing. I think he is a big man. I think he No, I'm a- saying like what well, he he's, he's a big now, but coming in, he was a wing. Yes, I agree, but that's because we did not know he was going to get this strong or grow this tall. Yeah. But in terms of his skill set, like he is a big man just in this modern era. Um, I do think it's a concern that he can't close out games, but I will say this, Jack, I think you overcomplicated a little bit when you said outside the box, inside the box, you made that because I don't think it's that complicated. He just needs to get a jump shot. That's all it is. I that's, don't think that's hard to I, do. Yes, yeah. I, I know that's hard to do, but I don't think Giannis has to sit down and stare at film for hours and try to think cultivate a perfect game plan. I just think he needs to become a better shooter. And it sounds very simple, but that's exactly what he needs to do. When you look at right now, like regular season-wise, and you look at their stats, they look like a legitimate team. First in points per game, second in field goal percentage, third in three-point percentage, second in rebounds per game, fourth in assists per game, seventh in steals per game. And right now, they're first in offensive rating, seventh in defensive rating, Giannis is playing out of his mind. He's having another MVP-like season, but because we know the MVP is predicated on narratives, he won't win it again. Middleton is in a 50-40-90 club. Holiday's playing great. They have a bench now, but the last two seasons, losing four straight to Toronto, 
Then against Miami, getting upset, even though Giannis was injured. You got to wonder whether this, whether it's Mike Budenholzer or it's Giannis's limitations or it's both because Budenholzer has had, has had some questionable coaching decisions in the playoffs versus the Raptors. I think he, he left Eric Bledsoe in the game way too long. Um, but I think it's a concern on paper and in the regular season, this team looks It's probably the best team in the league. Yes. Over the past two seasons they've have the they've had the best record. But in the playoffs, we just cannot trust them. And I don't think anybody has been trusting them in the playoffs for the past I couple think, of years. I think like like you said with Bledsoe, I think he was a problem for them the last two years and they filled that hole up by getting Drew Holiday. I think they didn't have enough shooters last year. Chris Middleton went cold against Miami, and they brought in Brian Forbes and these other guys. I think that was Bryn. good for – Yeah, sorry, Bryn Forbes and these other guys. So I think that was good for – I think this year really is going to come down. Giannis said he was going to stay. He committed to this franchise. Now you have to put this team on your back. And it, like, like we said before, there is a blueprint to stop Giannis in the playoffs, and it's a blueprint that he can easily, easily – Stop if he develops a jump shot. Not even, we're not even asking him to be a 36, 37% three-point shooter, just a consistent mid-range shooter, free throw shooter, and then maybe you could hit 32, 33 from the three-point line. He, the fact that he has to post up and just straight dominate the paint and the fact that he can't hit a free throw jump shot is very suspect and it's going to hurt his team down the stretch. Yeah, he's at a 27% three-point shooter right now. If oh he could God. even get that up to like 30 which I don't think is too crazy to ask. He was ask. there last year. Yeah, if he can get up to like 30, 33%, that's enough that you have to respect it. And and uh, a lot of teams, I feel like, will still let him beat yeah. them from the three-point line, but 33% from three is a good number, especially being surrounded by great three-point shooters. So, I don't know. It's going to be difficult. The one good thing is I think the team to beat in the Eastern Conference is the Nets, and depending on what they do with the deadline slash buyout market slash what DeAndre Jordan decides he wants to be down the stretch, they don't have that big man that I think is very important in the blueprint to stop Giannis. So I think that would be a very interesting series just in the sense that the Nets don't have that dependable big man like the Heat had in Bam Adebayo and the Raptors had in Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol. So. Yeah, I've seen Nets fans talk about they're scared of Indiana. You know, they're scared of Philly. I I was not under that belief. I'm under the belief that the Bucks, even though Giannis, we talk about his struggles, they are the on paper and in terms of personnel, the scariest team for the Nets. I'm not under the belief that the Pacers or Philly or even Miami, I don't think they're dangerous enough to be able to compete with the Nets. I think the Bucks are the only team. I would I would also Sixers put too. Philly up there. I would put Philly. It's just up there. Ben Simmons, like I just, uh, yeah, it's Philly, yeah, you could say Philly. But I, I said this about Ben Simmons. I think that him playing passive this year has been the best thing for them because Tobias Harris is playing great. Yeah. They're shooting the ball pretty well as a team, that's and true. Joel Embiid is playing awesome. And that's, that's I mean, going to be a tough match. Joel Embiid is another guy who struggles in the playoffs. So that's, you know, but I could see Philly. I could definitely see Philly. Talking about the Bucks struggles, the Nets have also been struggling. They, they beat Indiana. They actually – Kind of, I think, made a statement win against Indiana, but you can argue whether that was elite defense or Indiana missing point-blank shots. Could have been a little bit of both. But right now, the Nets have been struggling. They're 15-12 and 12 in the East. They're still third in the Eastern Conference. They're 6-4 and four in their last 10. But the Raptors beat them, and they scored 123 points. 
The Sixers beat game. them. They scored 124 points. And then the Pistons beat them, and the Pistons scored 122 points that game. They then beat Indiana, and they they only they held Indiana to 94 points. Um, for me, are there signs that you should be concerned about the Nets? Absolutely. Am I concerned? Hell no. And I'm not concerned because I got the guy that is ultimately the guy that makes me not concerned on my body right now. And that's James Harden, number 13, Fear the Beard. I got Kyrie Irving jersey hanging up behind you. you you're Jack. praising the wrong guy. And Kevin Durant. should have said yeah, him first. Yeah, Kevin Durant. Listen, Harden, whatever you want to say about uh, the transition to the Nets, Harden has been phenomenal. I still think he's being way too passive, and I will say this. The way he's playing right now is not superstar Harden. It's not MVP Harden. It's point guard Harden. I want him to be MVP Harden because there is no way, as great as Kyrie Irving is, Kyrie Irving should be taking more shots than Harden. I just don't think so. I think Harden needs to be taking more shots a game. I think he needs to be the second best scorer on that team, and Kyrie Irving has to take that back seat. Harden right now, I think, is under the impression and doesn't want to annoy Kyrie, doesn't want to upset Kyrie. He's still trying to figure out how to play with Kyrie, and because of that, he's being extremely passive, and it shows. Because when Harden and Kyrie have been playing and Durant has been out, Kyrie, I mean, Harden is still very passive. He still does not shoot a lot, even when he knows it's just him and him and Kyrie. But when Harden and Durant were both playing together as a duo, oh, they both lit it up. They both took a lot of shots. That's they true. both were making their mark. The chemistry was undeniable. With Kyrie, there's a little bit of passiveness because he doesn't want to get on Kyrie's bad side. And because of that, I think it's holding back the Nets right now. Obviously, defense is a problem. Steve Nash said, Steve Nash said you guys are going to have to decide what team you guys want to be. DeAndre Jordan has been horrible. Harden called him out against the game against the Pistons because DeAndre Jordan sometimes just looks like he doesn't try. But all in all, I think they have Kyrie, Harden, and Durant. They'll be fine. There are some things to be concerned about, but... I'm not too worried. And it's funny that you said when he called him out against the Pistons because against Indiana, like you said, it could have been a mix of them missing shots, playing defense. But when DeAndre Jordan was the primary defender, team was 5 for 19. So the call out did a little bit to him. This is his best game of the season. Yeah. I want to say this, though. I think Harden does that because he, he, he can flip-flop. You know, I don't think Kyrie can instantly become their primary playmaker. I think because Harden has that ability to be that, I think it's easy for him to play the passive. I don't think... If you flip him, Kyrie can just take a back seat. I think it's harder for him to do it. So I think that's why he do it. I could be wrong, but that, that's just my opinion why I think he'd do it. I think for the Nets, though, their problem is just lack of accountability. You know, you see a lot of the defense. It's just a lot of errors. Some guy not guy not being in the right spot, a guy not calling out a pick, not switching hard enough, not getting over. It's just a lot of lack, lack of count, accountability. And I think somebody in that locker room has to play that leadership role on the defensive end and call people out and set that tone for them. I think if they do that, they'll get it going. Their offense isn't a problem. You know, they've had a couple games where they stinked it up in the clutch, but they're going to get it over in the playoffs. They beat every playoff team they've played so far, so that's a good sign. 
But I just think the defense obviously is going to be a problem because they, they just don't have the personnel to be an elite defense. I think Shepard's going to help, but I don't think he's going to make them an elite defensive team. But accountability, the Nets can go on stretches. We've seen for about three, four minutes where they lock it down defensively, and that's really all they need to do, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't think they have to be an elite defensive team, and I think the issues are blown out of proportion because the losses are to bad teams, and people see that and they make a big deal out of it. But really when it comes down to it, and this is not a good thing to say because you you don't want to instill this type of attitude in your team, but speaking as a fan, you can look at the Nets and see they play much better against good teams than they do against bad teams. It's not sugarcoating it. When they play good teams, they clearly get up for those games, and they're going to be a playoff team. There's no question about that. In the playoffs, they're going to be playing good teams every night. They're going to be playing up every night. It's not like... They're going to be playing the Pistons at all in the playoffs. So when they get to playoff time and they've had months together, because I think a lot of people also forget that this team has only been together for a month, less than a month, and they're still figuring out the center role. They just brought in Norvell Pell and um, names escaping me at the moment. Noah Vonley. Yeah, Noah Vonley. And they're still supposedly going to be active in the buyout market. So... They're still putting this team together, and every night is a learning process. You I know, think this week is going to be really, really tough. I want to give them. a shout-out, and I want to give a shout-out to StatMuse because StatMuse is an, is an amazing uh, website. you have the app? Yes, I do, too. The one that tells you, like, two points, three points. What are you talking about? Like, it tells you, like, how many threes they took, how many twos they took. Like, it goes Yes. Oh, StatMuse okay. is an amazing website, app, whatever you want to call it. Um, I just searched it up. James Harden with Kyrie Irving attempts 13.1 field goals when he's with the Nets. Without Kyrie Irving, he's attempting 21. Mm. That's a huge difference. That that's that's 20, that's 20, that's low 20s to high to yeah, high 20s. I just think that makes sense because I I think Riv hit the nail on the head. James Harden can be so many more things to the Nets. And I do agree he needs to get more aggressive. And I, I think everybody's telling him that. But it's, it's again, a learning process. they got to the get thing. comfortable together. This is the thing. Yes, Harden can be so many more things. But I saw Harden in 2016 or 2017, I believe, average 27 and 11. I, I've seen him do that. Without, I, but you can't do that. Yes, I know. But I, I've seen him do that. And I, And when you watch James Harden in Brooklyn right now, you can see the passiveness. You can see it. You can see the jitters. You can see that he's not taking some shots. It, it's so obvious. And for me, in order for the Nets to be by far favorites, they need to get MVP Harden, not just All-Star Harden. I think right now they're getting All-Star Harden and not MVP Harden. I disagree. As long as Kevin Durant is on the court and the three of them are healthy, they're going to be the favorites in the East. I think... You want you want MVP Harden. I just think it's not enough shots in the game for that. Because then if he does that, Kyrie or Kevin Durant is going to have to take a back seat. And the way both of them are playing right now in terms of scoring and the efficiency, I don't think you want them to do that right now. I think you guys are good with Harden being that primary player. I do agree sometimes he does be, become a little passive and becomes a little hesitant. But you, you want Kyrie to just focus on being that scorer because he's just that dominant. You want KD to focus on being the scorer and Harden to be the playmaker because he's your best playmaker at the moment. And I also think it has helped, you know, we've talked about how this 
narrative has been perpetuated throughout James Harden's career that he's not a good defender because he had to take defensive possessions off. He is not taking any defensive possessions off in Brooklyn. Like, he's playing every possession hard defensively, and it's showing. So I think it's a good mix. The only thing that they need to work out is when each other is going to turn it on, if that makes sense, for lack of a better word. Like, when Kevin Durant's out, James Harden is going to have to turn it on more than when Harden the three has of them to do are on the court. Yeah, the I re- agree. The reason why Harden has to do it is because, look at this. When he was in Houston this season, he took 15 field goal attempts per game. With the Nets right now, um, no, with the Nets right now, he's taking 15 field goal, field goal attempts per game. With Houston, it was 17. So he was only taking two more shots per game in Houston, and he wasn't even trying in Houston. And for me, I, you can say what you want. The numbers can tell you what you want. But when I watch Harden in Brooklyn, I'm not watching the same Harden. It, doesn't, it shouldn't be, though. No, yes, it should. I, I disagree. Yeah, I, I disagree. I have not seen that. I have not seen that. Who was who was Kyrie Irving in Houston? It does not matter. It does though. Wait, Kyrie Irving it in does. Houston? Yes. Who was who was I've his seen, Kyrie I've Irving seen, in Houston? Oh, oh, I've oh, John Wall. I've seen yeah. James Harden with Chris Paul, another ball dominant player. But he's not a score dominant. Chris Paul is not he's, the score of the Kyrie. He's phenomenal, but but he held the ball a lot. That's I'm true. I'm just saying is. He wasn't even trying in Houston, and he was averaging 17 shot attempts per game. And now he's with the Nets. He's averaging 15 shot attempts per game. And I feel like he just has to take it to another level. He can't be playing passive like this. He has to be the guy that I raved about all these years. This is the first time in his in like eight seasons where he's not attempting more than 20 shots per game. Harden is arguably a top five scorer of all time. There is no way Kyrie should be taking more shots than him a game. Point blank period. Why not though? Because he's he, not the he's not He's not what? He's not the score that James Harden is. He's just not. He's just hey, not. Man, I'm, I don't know he's if you've been watching not. I mean, hey, man, you've been Kyrie's, watching this. Yo. Year. I don't know if you've seen Kyrie. No, this year. I know he's how great incredible. I know how great of a scorer Kyrie is, but he's not James Harden when James Harden decides to turn it on. He's just not. And I know that you didn't watch much Houston because you said he wasn't a facilitator. He did not play like a facilitator <laughs> the last two years in Houston. He's yes, playing okay. like a facilitator yeah, okay. right now, and you don't want to see it. So no. I don't know what you want. Do you want him he's to be always a facilitator? Been a, he's always been a facilitator to me. It's not that I don't want to see it. I always knew By this the way, Harden. Kyrie Irving's averaging 28 points a game on 50-40-90. So. No, he's playing phenomenal. I'm, I'm not saying I don't know what not, more you want no, out of a score yeah, than like, 28 no, points a game on 50-40-90. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying... If you're trying to argue with me that Kyrie's a better scorer than Harden, you need to get drug tested. No, you're trying to make I'm it seem like you Kyrie. An elite you make it seem like it's year. a big jump. It's a big gap between I Harden think, and Kyrie in terms of skill. I think when Harden gets it going, it is he's one of the best scorers the game has but ever. He seen. hasn't gotten it going, so because he's not gonna, attempting shots. Okay, so why are you going to force that when you have a guy who's putting up 28 Kevin points Durant. a game on 50, 40, 90? Because and the Nets Kevin have Durant, been losing. Who's playing like because Kevin Durant hasn't been playing. You should win games with Kyrie and Harden alone. If I'm being Kyrie honest. takes more shots than Kevin Durant. Yes, and that should not be happening. But Kevin Durant leads the team in scoring. Yes, because Durant's an Durant's efficiency a- god. That's why that's happening. But Kyrie should not be taking more shots than Harden and Durant. If we were to rank the Nets' best scores, it goes Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. 
There's no way that Kyrie should be taking more shots per game. I mean, take I mean, I mean you could talk I think about in the playoffs you change, could talk though. about what you think about them as scorers. I think that overall James Harden is a better scorer than Kyrie Irving. But when you look at the numbers this year and you watch the tape, Kyrie Irving has been an incredible scorer. He looks hard and has been passing. Yeah, because he why. looks fluid in that two guard spot. Like he looks, it just looks effortless because in that Harden two guard spot. Is you put you put you turn, but you turn Harden. So great. But I'm saying He's you turn you turn Harden into that two spot. Where does Kyrie go? He can't you don't be a ha- facilitator. You don't have to turn Harden to the two spot. Harden just has to be more aggressive on his own. And then what happens to Kyrie? You're not answering that question. He averages 24 points a game. What's the problem? Assets. Why do you want him to drop <laughs> down? Though? Because Harden jumping up is going to make the team significantly it better. Will not yes, better it than will. what they already now on offense now. Yes. Yes. How? Their second offensive rating. If Harden, is, <laughs> if Harden takes that lead role, they will be first by a mile. You just Their second just offensive saying, rating because of the time I'm James just saying, Harden Jack, wasn't there. I'm just saying, Jack, you want to you want to talk about look at the stats, look at this, look at that. You just look at J- look at James Harden's stats in Houston. That's oh the guy you should God. be looking at. That's the guy I want with the Nets. Obviously, not as as high as a volume on shots. He doesn't have to take as many shots per game. But you're trying to argue with me that. Harden shouldn't be taking more shots per game than Kyrie. No, I'm trying to argue with you that when you're maximizing your assets, it makes more sense to have James Harden playing the way he's playing. Kyrie as a scorer, I think it's being maximized and it's looking like they're very beautiful. I don't think you need Harden needs – I guess he could take a few more shots, but letting Kyrie play this role is fit better for him than playing him at the one. I'm just saying that everybody on the Nets would benefit if – Harden was more aggressive because I even seen it when Harden drives to the paint. But that's not true. Yes. How do you know? Yes. How would Kyrie, because I've, how, I've, how would Joe wait, wait, be How would Joe off? Harris benefit from Harden being more aggressive? Because if he's more aggressive, the defense is, is just going to collapse on him more. I've Collab- seen. They I've collapse seen, now. All right, but I've seen this year on the Nets where Harden drives into the basket, and defensive players don't even fall for that floater. Instead, a fake float, I'm going to pass it for a lob. They don't even fall for that anymore because they're like 90% certain that Harden's just going to pass the ball and they get a steal like that. That's why I think Harden's trying to force the issue too much sometimes. He should just be – he shouldn't just be a scorer, but there's no way that Kyrie should be leading this team in shot attempts (laughs) per game. That's all I'm saying. You keep saying that. I agree with the point that he's being too passive at times. Oh, so do you think that Kyrie (laughs) should be leading the Nets in shot attempts per game? I think it makes sense. The third best player on the team. I think it makes sense. That's like the way saying the Chris, that's like saying Chris right Bosh should have shot the most shots when he was in Miami with that LeBron. Is, and that's ridiculous. No. Yes, that's ridiculous. Uh-uh. That is, yes, that it is. Yes, it is. Come on, one hundred percent false equivalent. That even, that's a bad take. That's a really bad. I'm take. just saying he's the third no, best player, ridiculous. but you want him to take the no, first best player's ridiculous. responsibility. You're making it seem like you're making it seem like as a scorer, Harden and Kyrie is a big gap. Like Chris Bosh and D Wade was a very very big gap, bro. It's nothing wrong with Kyrie being the number one scorer on the team right now. Again, argue what you want. Score, but okay, Kyrie but shot Irving, attempts per game, no way. Kyrie Irving no way. He's, he's getting he's, 28 yeah. points a game on 50-49. And they're losing. Because Kevin Durant has not been playing. I don't know what's hard for you to understand about that. Not only is he their best offensive player, but he's their best defender, too. And James he's one Harden, of their best rebounds. So, he's probably so, their wait, second best rebound. So, Jack, you're telling me that they should have lost to the Detroit Pistons? No, but... They should have lost to the Toronto Raptors? We already thing. said that. They should have lost to the Toronto Raptors? That was good. Right, if you're not going to so, let me speak... Wait, no, 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 no. But you're okay. literally, you're, your, argument is, your argument is literally they're losing because they don't have KD when they're losing to trash teams. That's what you're saying. KD they, should, they should be beating those teams with Harden and Kyrie alone. You don't need KD to beat the Pistons. Are you done? 
I'm not done. Okay, then keep going. You don't. You don't need Kyrie. You don't need KD, Kyrie, and Harden to beat the Pistons. You can beat them with just Kyrie and Harden. Okay, you're done now. Yes. Okay, that was a waste of your breath because the reason they're losing those games is because of effort. Everybody has said it. You've said it. So I don't see why you're missing that point. No, obviously effort has to do with it, but Harden in those games has not taken twenty plus shot attempts per game. He's, I don't think he's even touched 20. Okay, if There's you, a problem right, with that. Right. Wait, is that a Kyrie problem? Because if KD's not playing and he's still not taking that shot, is that still a Kyrie problem? I think it's Kyrie's impact on the court. It has a lot to do with it because Harden doesn't want to step on his toes and be like, this is my team. And that's also part of Harden's personality. Harden has never been a guy to to be on the front lines and take ownership and be like, this is my team, no doubt about it. And it showed. In the playoffs and in close game situations, sometimes he does shy away from the ball. That has been a fact throughout his career. So right now he's being extremely passive. Well, he, but he he doesn't he de- yeah. the Nets are not going to be their best if he's going to be like that. He has to be MVP superstar Harden. Uh, uh, all right, so I mean he could play the way he played in Houston, and you'll turn Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving into spot up shooters, and it's oh, minimizing wow. the value of, of two of the best offensive well, players in the league. Right uh, now. If you want to say that, I mean they did. Almost beat the best team ever assembled in NBA history doing exactly that. Well, they didn't win. They didn't win, but they almost beat them. So I'm just saying you wouldn't have you don't you don't have to turn them into spot up shooters. I'm not saying he has to play the way he played in Houston, but you are being a fool if you are saying that <laughs> okay. if you are saying that James Harden doesn't pass up a bunch of shot attempts. He does in Brooklyn right now. I said that multiple times. You're yes, not listening. But I'm saying he has to be more aggressive for them to take that next step. I we said the same thing, but you're acting like it's ridiculous for a guy thing. who's averaging 28 points thing. a game on 50, 40, You did not 90. say the same thing. You did not say the same thing. I didn't Am say I the going same crazy? Thing. Did I not say from the beginning he needs to be more aggressive? No, he did say that. Okay, thank you. But you guys just have different points. You feel like Kyrie shouldn't be the number one and shot he does. taker. He does. He does. I he doesn't mean, see a problem to it. You, you, can, you can argue with 28 points a game on 50, 40, 90. I'll be okay That is that. true. That's that's a pretty that's a pretty amazing efficiency. Okay, I think numbers lie, and what that, the that's hell? A, okay. that, that's a, what? that's an example what? of numbers lying right there. Okay, wait, what? How is yeah, it lying? I, I do. I think that those numbers are, don't paint the full story of Kyrie. You, you watch Kyrie. Oh no, I watch Kyrie, and that's why I feel like the Nets are not at their best when Kyrie's just doing that. Because when Kyrie's going doing what he's doing, he's just isoing and he's doing his thing, which takes away from the rhythm of the offense as a whole. So you know that Kyrie Irving doesn't pass like that. That's why he's at the two. I know, but Kyrie Irving doesn't pass like that, and because of that, when you give them bo- give him the ball, it's a one man show. So you are making my point. But he doesn't he doesn't make the offense be into more of a rhythm when Harden is doing his thing and being the primary scorer. The offense as a whole is in more of a rhythm because he's a guy that's more willing to pass the and ball. And you are devaluing one of your biggest assets in Kyrie Irving because you are taking his best skill set and neutralizing it, and then he does. Mm. Really, not much else for you. Not He's really. a good playmaker. I mean, He's act, a bad you, you defender. Act, you act like I'm saying that Kyrie has to be a spot up shooter the whole game. He just doesn't have to get a bunch of ISOs a game and be the leading shot attempt player on the team. He doesn't have to take the most shots on the team. I think he should be but third. That's where his value is the highest. Really? Yes. As a ISO scorer, yeah. No, but that's where that's where his value is the highest as an ISO scorer. But is that where the team's value is going to be the highest? Is that how the team's going to be the best? I think so. It's not going to be that Kevin Durant way. is still getting 30 points a game on the amount of shots he's getting. James Harden has been a walking triple-double. He's still averaging 20 points a game with the Nets, at least. 
the offense is not the problem at all. The the you problems know, are know defense that, and effort. You know that Harden with the Nets so far has been streaky in averaging those 20 points per game because there are some games that he'll go 5 for 8 and hit 8 free throws. And there are some games where he'll go 1 for 7. You know, he's always been that type of streaky player in terms of the amount of shots he misses versus he takes and he makes. So that's what I'm saying is that Harden has to take in a, a consistent amount of shots per game because if you're limiting Harden to 13 shots shot attempts per game, you're, basically- you're not getting out of him what you would be getting as a scorer, but he's still providing so much as a playmaker and a rebounder he and would, a defender. He would, he would, bro, regardless, if he has the ball in his hands and he's more aggressive in taking those shots, that him being a scorer it's would not, only add to it's his not about playmaking. Him. It's not about him. Because then you're taking those shots from Kyrie, who is providing what he's providing as a scorer. If you're taking away from him on the offensive end, you might as well not even have him on the court. Because you could get better what? defense and better effort out of Bruce Brown, and he could just spot up shoot. This is very funny coming from somebody who didn't even want Harden to begin with. But okay. I mean, you see Not the problems. <laughs> you see the problems. They're there, and I think they'll fix them. But I don't think anybody would agree that Kyrie should be taking more shots than Harden and KD. Okay, and that's fine. You think that? So I just want to. I just want to make it clear. You think <laughs> that Kyrie Irving should be taking more shots than Kevin Durant and James Harden? I think right now with the three of them. And the time they're on the court, they're on pace for the best offensive rating in NBA history. So, wait, no, just and answer. And Kyrie Irving just is answer. taking the most shots. So, so, Kyrie Irving should be taking more shots than Kevin Durant and James Harden per game. Yes or no? All I'm going to say is with the three of them on that's the court. A yes. That's a yes. They that's are, a yes. They are on pace for the okay. the best offensive rating in NBA okay. history. No, they're actually second in offensive rating right now. In the in the in Over the course of the season. With James Harden has not I been there the whole year. James Harden. With the but three of them right playing, now. with the three of them playing, they are on pace for the greatest mm-hmm. offensive rating in NBA history. So you guys heard it. You guys heard it. You heard it, He basically said yes. He doesn't want to say yes because he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't want to be. He doesn't want to say it with conviction, but you basically said yes, that you're okay <laughs> with Kyrie Irving taking more shots I'm than just Kevin Durant you, and James Harden. I'm just telling you that the offense looks great right now, and you don't want that because you think it takes away from James Harden. No, I, I, would think, okay James, I think it adds to I'm James okay Harden, it. personally. I, whoa. I'm okay with it. So, yes, Jack thinks that Kyrie Irving should be taking more shot attempts per game. See, than this is what you do. You, you, you Th- that's what you said. No, no, no. That's what he said. But I never said that. I never said that. You are trying to phrase it like that because you think it makes me no, look No, you're worse. trying to phrase it in a way I'm not so trying you to don't phrase have anything. to say yes. I'm not trying to phrase anything. I'm bringing up facts, and you are trying to so phrase you, things so to you, make so me look bad. Okay, so you're saying... You're okay with Kyrie Irving taking the most shots because it's leading to the best offensive rating in NBA history yes. on pace for okay. So that's a yes. That's a yes. Am I crazy for thinking that that's a yes? That's a yes. Hey, Riv, am I crazy for thinking that's a yes? Yeah, both not wrong. They're just not understanding each other right now. That's I think what. that's a yes. You guys are crazy. I mean, if you want to mess with the greatest offense in NBA history, you can do that. Okay, six and four in the last ten games. Slow down. Without Kevin Durant. <laughs> It's You're cool. Fan, I'm you are cherry picking stats to make your case look better, but find me the numbers with Kevin Durant on the court. They're a totally different team. Mm, Let's it's been move a on. really low sample size. So I don't know. We yeah, can see. So what's the point? We can see. I'm not cherry picking any stats. I'm just You just did. 
You why? Used, that I said they're six, six and four in the last four ten. In the last ten, but that's without the best player on the team on the court. So I don't and, know what that has okay, to do with anything. So how is that? I have made how no is arguments that, about how is that cherry picking stats when most of those teams they should have beat even without Kevin Durant? Because that's a whole different story. The the whole argument I've been making is with Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and James Harden on the court. Okay, but so you can use stats without Kevin whole, Durant on the court. My my whole argument this whole time has been. Harden should take more shot attempts per game than Kyrie, and Harden should be more aggressive, and that Kyrie should not be taking more shot attempts per game than Durant and Harden. Sometimes that's it, my argument this whole time. Sometimes it be in the rhythm and the flow of the game, though. If he's hot, you know, you just got to give it to him and let him work. Yeah, a lot Which of times, clearly he has been most of the season if he's shooting 50, 40, 90. Okay, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the Miami Heat. Now that Jimmy Butler is back with the Miami Heat, do you think they are a lock to make the playoffs? Are they going to start making this playoff push? I'll start off with you, Riv. <laughs> After that whole, got to calm it down. Um, no, yeah, I, I, I do troll them a lot, you know, on Twitter because my friends are Heat fans, so it's fun to troll your friends. But I do believe they're going to get it going. They're going to start making the playoffs. And when you see when Jimmy Butler got back, you know, I know they lost their first two games, but you've seen instantly the impact he has on their team. He is a top two playmaker in their team, a top three rebound in their team, their best perimeter defender, their best scorer. He just does everything for that team that he needs to do. Uh, that he needs to do, and I think now that he's back, they're going to make a push for the playoffs. And I think this team is definitely going to gel and get back that little fire that they had last year. I don't think they're going to do the little Cinderella run they did, but I think with Jimmy Butler back, you definitely get your leader back. You get the guy who's going to ride for you, and you get your your best everything, your best all around player. I think they've been losing because Jimmy Butler has been hurt. When Jimmy Butler has played with the Miami Heat, the Miami Heat are 7-5 and five this season. They're 10-14 and 14 overall. They're 11th in the East, but if you want to make it sound better, they're 9th. They're tied for 9th. So they're not actually 11th. They're tied for 9th. And now that their whole team is getting healthy, Bam, he's been healthy all year, but Tyler Hero is back. Duncan Robinson missed some games. Jimmy Butler's back. I think they're going to start making a run, and people forget that Avery Bradley has not played yet. I mean, the Miami Heat lost two key players in Jay Crowder and Derrick Jones Jr. Derrick Jones Jr., arguably one of their best perimeter defenders on the team, left. So it hurt them a little bit. But overall, overall, I think the slow start to Miami was more due to having a short offseason. Uh, you saw the same thing with Toronto. They didn't have as short of an offseason, but... They're not playing any home games right now. Miami had a short offseason, and Jimmy Butler was out as well. And because of that, all of that cultivated into them starting slow. But now that Jimmy's back, I really don't see any scenario where Miami doesn't start to make a run now because we've seen Bam Adebayo emerge as a scorer now. He's shooting 40% from the three. His mid-range shot is great. He's doing his thing. He's averaging 20 points per game. So this might have been a blessing in disguise because while Jimmy Butler was out, Bam Adebayo builds up that confidence, but I think we can both agree that even though Bam is doing this as a scorer, he shouldn't be taking more shots per game than Jimmy Butler. <laughs> well, <guy>. I mean, <laughs> if you want to talk about the Heat, we can talk about the Heat because that's the topic at hand, but I think the Heat are a lock for the playoffs with Jimmy Butler on the court. They got to stay healthy. That's the most important thing, and that's been their problem so far, obviously, with a 70-day off se- off season, That's going to be an issue, and it's been an issue for both finals teams with the exception of LeBron because he takes care of, he takes care of his body like nobody's business. Her so, AD. Yeah, so 
I think they are a lock for the playoffs. It's not just Jimmy Butler coming back as a player, but it's Jimmy Butler's attitude coming back too. And I know he can still bring that being on the bench, but when he's on the floor, he makes everybody around him play harder. When he's in the practice gym, he makes everybody go that much harder. That's just the Jimmy Butler effect. You've seen it everywhere he's gone. The intensity level has risen, whether it's been for better, like it was in Philadelphia. I think they played much better with Jimmy Butler there, or for the worse, in Minnesota where you know he was trying to increase the intensity and guys just weren't buying into that mentality. But I think he's going to bring that here in Miami again, just like he did last year. He's going to raise everybody up around him. And I think all together, when they start playing together, getting everybody on the floor, they're going to get back into that rhythm. I don't think, like you guys said, they make a run like they did last year. But they're a team to, to be afraid of. They're a team to look twice at and, and nobody to gloss over in the Eastern Conference and a lot of people have been down on them because of the beginning of the year, but it was a total fluke. I don't know what happened with Jimmy Butler, but Did he have surgery? Um, no, he I think it was COVID. But he I'm not I'm COVID. not talking about that. I'm talking about right now he's shooting six percent from three. <laughs> like that is that is bad. That bad. Is, that, that is <laughs> that, horrible. That is astronomically bad. He shoots worse than um, Giannis. And this is somebody who in the past playoffs, like in the regular season last year, he shot bad from three. But in the playoffs, he shot 35%. So for that not to translate this season, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why his shot is. He still hits big shots. Yes, he really does. I don't know know why his shot is so inconsistent. It's so up and down. But overall, you guys said it all. The Heat have all the talent. When you look at the teams that are in front of them, the Hornets, the Hawks, um, sorry, the Knicks, um, who else is in front of them? Even the, even the Pacers. The Bulls are ahead of them. Yeah. The Bulls. I don't think any Back. of those teams have well, a more. Even, but no, we're better than them. I don't think any of those teams have a more talented roster than the Miami Heat when healthy. Who are you shaking your head at? No, I was going to be uh, biased to say we are, we're better. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> so. you, you guys are not better. But right now they're on a three-game winning streak, and this is their next 10 games. Right now I think they're playing the Rockets on TNT. <laughs> yeah. But the Rockets, the Jazz. The Clippers, mm. the Warriors, the Kings, who, you know, they're good offensively but, but bad defensively. The Lakers, the Thunder, the Raptors, the Jazz, and the Hawks. So they have a tough they have a tough schedule over the course of these next 10 games. They face the Jazz twice. They've been rolling. The Lakers are one of the best teams in the NBA. Um, the Clippers, we know what they are. The Warriors against Steph, anything can happen. The Raptors are starting to click, and the Hawks... I mean, their roster is more is talented, more talented this year than last year. They're a much better team. So none of these teams are cakewalks. So we're going to see just how good the Miami Heat are going to be within these next 10 games because this schedule, the, the next 10 games are going to be pretty difficult. Yeah, and they had a pretty tough schedule over the entire first half. Now that I'm looking back at, like, games they've played too. So I would have to imagine, I know they haven't released the second half schedule yet, but I would have to imagine the second half is going to be at least a little bit easier on him. And getting, like I said, Jimmy Butler is not going to shoot 6% from three all season long. He's got to get back into the sure. rhythm. He's got to get back in the flow. Yeah. He might not shoot. <laughs> yeah. He might not even get to 30%, but you know he will definitely improve from 6%. And when it comes to playoff time, it seems like he always finds a way to hit the shots when he has to. So I trust that they're going to come around. And honestly, like, I could see them getting up to like the five seed, really. Who can they beat? In the playoffs? They could beat every team outside of the Nets, in my opinion. 
I could see it. I could see it. The Sixers and Bucks would be tough matchups. But we saw them beat the Bucks last year. I think adding Drew Holiday makes it a much tougher matchup. The Sixers be interesting the way Joel Embiid is playing right now, but can they do that in the playoffs is a huge question mark with Doc Rivers. You just don't know. Outside of that, I think everything is up for grabs. You know, I think the Celtics are still trying to find their stride. I think they could still use a more dependable big man. I think I think the Heat can beat the Nets. Dan Adebayo so? would have to have the series of his lifetime. Would he? Yes. Huh? Because because I've seen you guys. I've seen I've seen them play, you guys. I mean, and if Kyrie's taking the most shots on the team, they could. I, 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 let me say this: I think they have the personnel to make that series very, very challenging. I, I mean, I've seen both you guys play each other, and Jimmy Butler did not play, and Bam gave you guys a whole lot of hell. But that that was with no Jimmy Butler. I think they have the personnel better than most teams. To me, I just because I'm banking this on when I look at the playoffs, I'm looking at how I think the team is going to be. Uh, and them at their full potential. Yeah, at their full potential, the key cannot beat the, the Nets. Yeah, maybe I stretch it. I they think they can give you guys Nets. hell. Though. They can beat Philly because you know I, I th- think Miami just has more dogs on. Their I team. think the Nets that would be a very challenging first round for you guys, like a really rugged battle coming out the gate. Like that's your first series to eat. It's like that's that's not going to be a cakewalk. I think it'll go six. No, I don't. Like in the top six. In the East, I don't think there's going to be a cakewalk out of any of them, depending on how things play out. But I think there's going to be a lot of teams that can put up a fight, at least in the Eastern Conference. Yes. It doesn't look good right now, numbers-wise, but a couple of teams have gotten off to poor starts. Yeah, I, had I, stretches, I, I stretched it with they can beat you. They can't beat you. I stretched it. But they can make it a very it tough series. It will be a good, a tough yeah. series. Yeah, I was bugging. A team that's currently in the playoffs right now is the Charlotte Hornets. They're the seventh seed. They're 12-14. and 14. We're not going to talk about the team, though. <laughs> We're going to talk about LaMelo Ball. Mm. And his stats this season, 14 points per game, six rebounds, six assists, 44% from the three from the field and 36% from three. But in his starts, his stats as a starter, he's averaging 22, 6, and 5. And I think he is going to be the runaway rookie of the year at this point. They're 3-3 three and three when he starts, which is an okay record. I mean, the Hornet, Hornets are below 500 as a whole, so being 500 with him starting is a, is a jump. My concern is that is James Borrego going to start Devontae Graham over LaMelo when he gets back? Because right now... I thought it was Terry out. Terry's back. He played oh, he yesterday, and Devontae was out. Every game that Devontae Graham and Terry Rozier have played in this season, they have started. So I'm not sure if he's going to go back to that, but I think LaMelo has earned his starting spot. He In his starts, he's shooting 45% from the field and 49% from three, and it's obvious the team just flows better with LaMelo. I think he's the runaway rookie of the year this season, especially if he keeps on starting. There's nobody that's going to come close. You can't, maybe Tyrese Halliburton is there, but he's going to come off the bench for the rest of the season. Uh, who else? Anthony Edwards, he's super inefficient. He comes off the bench too. Yeah. LaMelo Ball is going to be the runaway rookie of the year if they keep on starting him, but I'm not sure if they do. I hope that he does, but I want to say this. James Rago is a heck of a coach. He knows what he's doing. He puts LaMelo in great positions to succeed. He's really a great coach. So I don't want to take anything away from him. I just think that LaMelo should be starting. 
it, I think a lot of the rookies in this class have been benched or coming off the bench this year. I think I agree, though. Like, I think we said this like a couple weeks ago. LaMelo, when he decides to start, he's going to run away with this rookie of the year award, and he's going to do that. He's going to be as clean sleep of the rookie of the year award. I think James Brego knows what he's doing in a sense. I do believe he should start, regardless if Devontae Graham comes back. He hasn't been playing great this year. If he wants to come off the bench, though, I don't see LaMelo Ball's play dropping any. I think he's going to still play at that high level regardless. But I think James Brego knows what he has. I think starting him right now, seeing that the team is better suited with him starting, is it really going to come down to if he believes this team can make a real push in the playoffs? I know they're in it right now, but they could still drop. But if he feels like this team can flow behind LaMelo for a playoff push, I think he's going to make the right decision to keep LaMelo as a starter. Either way, I think he should be starting. Whether they he thinks they're a playoff team or not, even if he thinks they're not a playoff team or don't think they'll make a playoff team a playoff push with him starting, I think it's best for Lamelo's development. And you're starting to see now, like he is just a bred basketball player. Like the the IQ, the stuff he does as a passer is just things that you can't teach at this age. Like maybe you learn it throughout the course of your career. Like we've seen LeBron develop from when he was first in the league, how his playmakes developed. LaMelo has come in with such high playmaking skills that I can't wait to see him blossom in his career. You've heard it throughout his life, really, that he was this protege. You saw him at Chino Hills and then going overseas, and there was always that concern about maturity. I think that although he's had like funny moments, he's been pretty mature in Charlotte, and you haven't really seen any... You know, any issues yeah, from I, him? I knew that would be a good spot for him, like somewhere low-key, a small town. Not a small town, but a city, but a, you know, small market type. Yeah, I knew that would be perfect for him to groom. And I, and I thought that was the bad thing for Lonzo. He had to go yeah. to the bright lights of L.A., and it was going to be a lot of energy on him. With this, you see Lonzo, uh, not Lonzo, their dad, is not really, you know, on him as much. You're not in the media as much, so that gives LaMelo free roam to just hoop, and that's what he's doing. And you see the numbers. I, He's the runaway if he yeah. starts. For me, I love Lamelo's personality. Lamelo, I mean, we gotta, we gotta, you know, put things into perspective. He's 19 years old. You know, he's just having fun. You know, the way he interacts with the media, he's very respectful. He's very fun. He's he's charming to the media. Honestly, that's what I could describe it. He's very charming. He's very outgoing. He's very open. You know, he's he's always got a smile on his face. And I think the best point guards have always played the game and had fun. And right now, LaMelo's having fun. He's still figuring out the game. And the thing that separates him and Lonzo is that LaMelo is an aggressive scorer. He has swagger. He's an extrovert. Lonzo is more of an introvert. We see him from time to time, you know, do his thing. But for the most part, the difference between those two is I think when Lonzo gets criticized, he kind of thinks about it too much and he, he thinks about the game too much. With LaMelo, if something were to happen to him, I think he takes that as fuel or he just doesn't even care about it and he just focuses on him. I mean, he's been famous from the time that he was a teenager. He knows how to deal with fame because he's been dealing it for years already. I think Charlotte was a good spot for him, not only because it's low-key, but I think the talent around him was really good to be there with Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham, some good vets. Gordon Hayward is there. Cody Zeller, he's been the most not great consistent big man (laughs) for a while in the NBA. He's starting every single year, even though he's not phenomenal, but he does what he has to do. And right now, LaMelo is leading leading all rookies in points, rebounds, assists, steals, 
double doubles and triple doubles. That is embarrassing. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so he's doing it all, and he's by a wide margin. I think Lamelo Ball, because of that, is the runaway rookie of the year. And I said if he starts, but I think I think if he starts, it's like not even race, not even competition. I and he, I still think he'll win it. Yeah, he'll still bench. win it. I don't think it's a race anymore. I think it's, just, it's his to lose at this point. Yeah, and, and if they stay healthy, I think they're definitely a playoff team in the Eastern Conference just because you look at – like I think there's a big drop-off between teams that are in it right now and teams that are out of it. With the exception of the Heat, maybe the Magic could make a run. But like teams that are out of it, especially considering those two playing game spots, I don't see there's any way the Hornets aren't playing playoff basketball if they stay healthy. And they have a really nice young core. I like what they're building you know, between P.J. Washington, Bridges, Ball, and then if you want to consider Rozier and, and Graham a part Airbnb. of that. But, you know, it, it's a lot of fun to see what they're building there in Charlotte, and I can't wait to see how it develops. I just want to see – I don't know if they're a lot to make the playoffs because I think there are going to be seven playoff teams that are going to be in it. I think the last spot it's going to come down to Atlanta, Charlotte, New York, and Chicago will be in the race as well. Do you count the play-ins? The plans as making the playoffs? Yeah, I don't. I, I would because they're a lottery pick still. Yeah, I don't care. That, that's what I was. I I said they're a, they're a lock to at least make the play-ins. The plan is ninth and tenth seed, right? Yeah. Yeah, they play and then they play the eighth. I mean, that's possible. Yeah, yeah. I, I could see that, but in uh, to make the playoffs, I'm not sure because you know I think there's just a bunch of teams fighting for that spot, and Lamelo, as great as he's been, I think he's just finding his way into the league. Next year, I think is when he's going to take. A way bigger leap, but right now he reminds me of a of a, not to sound cliche because I know Lonzo got this comparison, but as a passer, a young Jason Kidd, I can you can reasonably debate right now that Lamelo's a top ten passer in the NBA. I was I was thinking of Steve Nash in my head, just a faster, taller Steve Nash in my head. To be honest, I could see the Jason Kidd though. That's what I thought came to mind though. I he's mean, he's he's still definitely got to fill out a little bit, but if that's your biggest concern. Like, I think you got to be very happy with what you got. Like, size-wise, oh, oh, he's got oh. to get stronger. Yeah, I was like, wait, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he's definitely a top-10 passer in the league right now. If I had yeah, told I you that at this point in the season, your biggest concern with LaMelo would be he's got to fill out a little bit, get a little bit stronger. Yeah, you could have said that. You'd sign up for that in a heartbeat. Yeah. So, wait, yeah, I have I mean, a question. His biggest concerns were shooting and defense, and he's been phenomenal. Yeah. So, should you, you think Golden State should have took LaMelo? Yeah, they should have. I thought Minnesota should have took Lamelo. Yeah, that too. The only question is the fit, like when Clay Thompson comes back. But at that point, is it best player? Is he good enough to be like, okay, we got to take the best player on the board? Fit be damned. Well, Minnesota I, yeah. definitely should have. I mean, Lamelo's six eight. He can play the three. He can. And basketball right now is positionless, regardless. So when people people tend to be fixated on a PG shoot at shooting guard, small forward, one two three, whatever. But in reality. It's positionless basketball. If you have six eight Lamelo, six seven Clay, and six three Steph, you'll be fine. Whether you know you want, of course, Lamelo would be the one to initiate offense. And being in that system as a primary passer, that's really dangerous, especially if you have Clay and Steph. I think. I mean, you see what Draymond's doing. Wiseman can be really good, and I'm not saying that he won't be. But I'm saying, I'm also saying that you can. Centers are kind of undervalued. Uh, centers, you can find a lot of centers. You can find a James Wiseman. If James Wise, as long as James Wiseman doesn't turn into Joel Embiid, you can find another James Wiseman. You know, you if he's a Mitchell Robinson, at best, 
You can find those. I think he's got a, a higher ceiling. I don't that. think. I don't think you can. But when he reached the ceiling, that's the thing. Centers I don't, don't really reach the ceiling. I don't think you find Lamelo's anywhere. Like a gifted passer like that, right away coming into the league now. That's true. You don't find that James Wiseman. You can't really say something about him outside of his height. That oh, you can't find that in Wiseman. Like you can't find that anywhere else. It's just. He's gifted with that. I also think he would have had a little bit harder of a time finding himself in Golden State just because they're a very system-based team. I think we've seen that this year. It's made Andrew Wiggins look a lot better, and I think it's made Kelly Oubre look a lot worse. It's made Draymond Green look better throughout his career. So I think it, it would have been interesting to see how he would have fit in that system and if it would have made him look better or worse. Obviously, it would have made him... It would have hit on his playmaking skills, but his scoring, it would have been tougher for him to come well, by opportunities depending on how they ran that offense. So it would have been interesting to see how that system Well, I'm curious because if we say, for example, we did, did that, if Lamelo becomes the primary ball handler, what do you do with Draymond? His his position he, would be a little bit more off pick and rolls. That he would be the roller? I mean, yeah, I think you could be. It could yeah. be an exchange of two, but I think you could run. Because he's kind of like he's kind of like a Harden, but worse. Like when you said Harden looks to pass, Draymond doesn't look to score like at all, like ever. So you, if you do run a pick and roll, you know what he's gonna do. He's always gonna pass that ball. So getting him out there, and you see Draymond being the primary ball handler, that's unlocked his playmaking ability. But if you take that away and you put Lamelo out there. You got a guy who they don't really need to guard. Another guy with Kelly Oubre playing the way he's playing, they don't really need to guard. So. I think it's been really good in Charlotte how he's kind of been free to grow within himself, if that makes sense. And also, like, James Brago's been tough on him. There's no question about it. He had that press conference talking about the turnovers and all of that. But on the court, he's let him play pretty freely within the offense. So I feel like that's been good for him to grow. I mean, I think that too, but I just feel as if when you got a coach as good as Steve Kerr, it's yeah. going to work out. Point. You it's know, I think it's going to work out. I think the best two coaches, obviously I think Greg Popovich is the best coach in the NBA, but since that's kind of like, you know, we know that, it's like the next guy. When we're talking about X's and O's, I think it's Quinn Snyder and Steve Kerr and everybody else in the NBA. And Brad Stevens is in that conversation as well. But I, then I think it's everybody else. I think Steve Kerr, having a talent like LaMelo, he'd make it work. It wouldn't be, you know, yeah, I agree. too difficult. I He's agree. not going to have LaMelo doing, be doing too much. The next team we're going to talk about is the Sacramento Kings. The Sacramento Kings right now, I believe, have been on a roll. Um... They're ninth in offensive rating. They're 30th in defensive rating, though, but they are a really fast team. They're 11th in pace. They're 12, 12 and 12, and they're only one and a half games behind the eighth seed. And in your opinion, do you think that the Sacramento Kings will make the playoffs in their last six games? They're 4 and 2. And even though they have the 30th ranked defense in their last six games, they are only allowing 111 points per game, which would rank 13th in the NBA currently. Based on the teams in front of them, the Warriors and the Grizzlies and the Spurs are there. Steve Curtis came out and said that he's not going to play Steph Curry a bunch of minutes to try to chase wins. So for me, that sounds like they're not really even worried about making the playoffs. The Grizzlies are more of a defensive-oriented team. They can be streaky. We'll see what happens when Jaron Jackson gets back 
And the Spurs, I think, are playing phenomenal basketball. We'll talk about them later. But I think at this pace, if the Sacramento Kings can fix their defense, which it looks like they're doing right now, they can make the playoffs. De'Aaron Fox is having a breakout season, averaging 23-7, and shooting 36% from the three and 48% from the field. And I think everybody has been contributing. Marvin Bagley has been playing better. I think one of the most underrated players on that Kings squad is Raquan Holmes. He's a really good center in the NBA. And if he played for any other team besides the Kings, he'd be he'd be known by a lot of fans. But he's a really good player. And overall, you have Harrison Barnes, Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton. For me, the problem with them is that their starting lineup, there's not very much good defenders. Buddy Heald is not a good defender. Marvin Bagley is one of the worst defenders at his position. Harrison Barnes can be when he wants to try and De'Aaron Fox is very slender. So because of that, he can't play as great as defense as other people can play. I think that's the only thing that, that is going to plague them. But I think they're going to make the playoffs this year. They've been on a, I think, 14 or 15-year playoff drought. I think this is a year they make it because I think they're getting on a roll. And Luke Walton is hes proving everybody wrong. He's actually been pretty good in Sacramento so far. So when you say make the playoffs, you mean like the first day? I, I make yeah, I mean, make the playoffs. All right. That's, okay. Yeah. 12 and 12, ninth seed. They're right behind Golden State. You know, this team, this team, then Kevin Durant, I remember Kevin Durant and Steph Curry talking about this team a few years back. This team is tough. This team is going to give you hell every time they play. This team is very fun to watch. I like their offense. I think their offense is really good. De'Arian Fox is having that breakout season that we all been waiting for him to have. Marvin Bagley has been good. Tyrese Halliburton coming in as a rookie has been phenomenal for them in the clutch especially. I don't know. I, I'm not too quick to say they're a playoff lock. You know, I think even with Steve Kerr saying that, Golden State still can make some noise. I don't think Denver's going to drop out. I think San Antonio has been underrated. They've been playing well. But I definitely think they're going to be in the plans. I think the Kings and the Grizzlies will probably be those two in the playoffs in the play-in. I think Dallas can still sneak up on teams and get back in the hunt. New Orleans is right there. I don't think they're going to make, but they can make some noise, mess up some seating. But I think with this team, I think, I don't know if this stretch is going to last this long. You know, I don't think they have the personnel to really fix their defense. I think it's going to plummet down the stretch. But I do think offensively, they're going to be where they're at for the most part. But I definitely have them in the plan. I wouldn't say a lock in the playoff yet. Yeah, this is tough because I love watching the Kings. They're honestly one of my favorite teams to watch outside of my own. Like, I will always put them on if they're on league pass. Um, the playoffs is tough just because you look at the Western Conference right now, and like even the second to worst team in the conference is the Thunder at ten and fourteen. So anything can happen. Like all of these teams, except for the Timberwolves, are pretty much in it, and with a good run, can make a playoff push. I would side with Riv. I think that I would I would feel pretty confident saying they're a playing team. I do think they can make the playoffs. It's just tough because there's so many good teams ahead of them. They would they would count on, like, I don't see the Nuggets dropping out. I definitely don't see any of the top five dropping out. So it would come down to the Spurs, the Warriors, and then they have to fight with teams on the outside, like the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, and maybe even the Pelicans that they can make a run. So they're in that, they're in that hunt for probably the final two spots. It's an uphill battle. I think they have the firepower offensively to do it, and I love watching them. Defensively, they're going to have to keep playing at the same level they've been playing at. 
I think they can do it. I would bet on them being a play-in team before I bet on them being a playoff team. So what do you think about De'Aaron Fox? And where would you rank him currently amongst point guards? I'll say this. I think he has shown that he was worth the extension. Because they extended him this past offseason, correct? He bet on himself. I think I think he has shown this year that it was worth extending him and not letting him go somewhere else. And I think they have their their franchise point guard right here. And him and Halliburton next to each other for the next foreseeable future is going to be a really nice pairing. But they have to build around them. If we're talking about ranking point guards, it gets Steph, tough. It Dame, gets tough. Kyrie. Those three are are easily the top three, and then, are we're not considering LeBron a point guard, right? No, I think he's in the Trey Young tier. I think he's just as he's they're kind of in the same tier. I think he's in the John Morant, Trey Young, De'Aaron Fox tier. Okay, the young up and coming point guards. I think with Jamal Murray there too. I think he's there, but Jamal Murray's very streaky. And we're still waiting on him to break out. No, we're not waiting. You're waiting. I mean, I'm waiting on him to break yeah. out because playoff Jamal Murray is superstar player. You know he's got honest. it in him. You know he's got it in him. I mean, it's he's just about shown it. I think he's got it in him for more in the short stretch than a long stretch. But I would say De'Aaron Fox definitely. I think I would put him in that Trey Young, John Morant category. I think right now, this year, you can definitely make a debate for him being a top 10 point guard. Is Luka a point guard? I think we could all agree he is now. I mean, he could, yeah, I, I would classify Luka as a point guard, but I just think in terms of, uh, like, I would say he's a point forward more than a point guard. Is like it, a Ben Simmons. Yeah. If more so, like a LeBron. If so, the only guys, if we're saying Luka's a point guard, the only guys I would flat out, no question, take above De'Aaron Fox is Dame, Steph, Kyrie, Luka. Like flat out, like That's no debate, it. no question. The, 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 from there on, I think you can have a debate. So Trey, the other ones? Trey Young, Ja, Ben Simmons. I'm taking De'Aaron Fox over. Ben. I would personally take De'Aaron Fox just because he's more. I I don't want to say he's more well rounded, but at the point guard position, I feel like he provides more of what you want out of your. I mean, point as guard. a scorer, you would take De'Aaron Fox. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. I think if I'm making a, a team that I want to be an all around team, oh I, yeah, I ben, take Simmons. ben Simmons. I'll take Ben Simmons because he'll do everything else. And I think with the... I mean, Fox is no slouch, though. He can can do everything else. He just doesn't do it as good as Ben Simmons. Wow, that's a tough question. That's a really tough question. I think Aaron Fox is... Is Fox's girlfriend going to text it and stuff? (laughs) I mean, I think Aaron Fox is up there. He's definitely in that tier. I mean, he's very young still, so he can still have another... He still has another gear left in him, you know, to break out. You know who's really fallen in this conversation? Kemba Walker has really fallen out of the discussion because there was times where he was like a consensus top five. I mean, he averaged 27 points per game with Charlotte, which was a losing team. And then you see him go to a winning situation, it drops down. Yeah, ever since Which is what I'm predicting is going to happen to Bradley Beal as well. Um, But even guys like you got to think about with the season he's having, Colin Sexton is creeping up in that conversation. He's a one? D'Angelo Russell I think he's more of a two. is in that conversation if you're counting those guys as ones. Um, that's a great question. I, I, I'm i going to research that a little bit more before I give a solid answer, but I would say there's four guys in the league who I'm undisputedly taking above him, and that's Steph, Dame, Kyrie, Luka. From there, it's a discussion. 
to everybody's surprise, at least to my surprise, the San Antonio Spurs are playing really, really well right now. They're 14 and 11. They're six in the Western Conference. They're seven and eight at home, which is pretty surprising for a San Antonio Spurs team. They're seven and eight at home, but they're seven and three on the road, which is a big step from last year. Last year, they were 13 and 24 on the road. This season, they already have more than half of those wins. And I just have to give, give it up for the Spurs because this team is a perfect combination of veterans and young players. You have DeMar DeRozan, who's still averaging 20 points per game, but has took on an added playmaker role and is now averaging seven assists per game. He has took a huge step in his game in that aspect. Marcus Aldridge is still there taking less of responsibility on the scoring end. But then you have Keldon Johnson, DeJounte Murray, um, Lonnie Walker's playing phenomenal, Derek White. You got vets in Rudy Gay and Patty Mills, Keldon Johnson, if I didn't mention him already. And then I think this is a guy that I've been enamored with. I was watching a lot of film on him today, and that's that's Devin Vassell. I think Devin Vassell is the most slept-on rookie in this class. He's not getting talked about, one, because he plays on the Spurs, and two, because he's not putting up great numbers. But ever since he's he started playing in the league, he's gotten better each month. December, he averaged three points per game. Then in January, that jumped up to six. And now in February this month, he's averaging seven points per game in 18 minutes and shooting 50% from the field and 40% from three. He's the best rookie in terms of defensive points added. They have a chart for that. In terms of offensive points added and defensive points added, Devin Vassell is first place by far. He's a rookies. Yes, he's a really excellent defender. And right now, he leads the Spurs in three-point percentage at 40.7%, and only 36% of Vassell's threes are open threes. That's the same percentage as Patty Mills. And Patty Mills is a guy that guys don't leave open. So you can see right now that Devin Vassell already has that respect in terms of spacing the floor. And I just got to give it out to R.C. Buford. Keldon Johnson wasn't drafted with a high pick. Derek White was a gem. You look at uh, Lonnie Walker, he was a guy too. He wasn't a high draft pick either. And they've built this team on guys who they have kind of stolen in the draft. I mean, Devin Vassell, we kind of projected him to go 11th overall, but I think he was the perfect Spurs guy. Him and Patrick Williams, to me, were the perfect Spurs guys. Like, they kind of personified what I what I see when I watch Spurs basketball, and I think they're, they're, they're a really great team right now. It's a perfect combination, and they protect the ball really well. They're, they, they're the best team in terms of not turning over the ball. They only average 10 turn, turnovers per game. Yeah, and, and I know you wanted Devin Vassell for the Knicks, and his skill set has transferred over perfectly to the NBA. He's a, an elite three-point shooter, 40% from the three-point line, and a great defender. He's shown that all season long, and although the numbers aren't there yet, they'll come along. And I said in the preseason preview, what it was for the Spurs this season was about embracing that youthful renaissance, bringing back the Fiesta uniforms. They got all this good young talent, and they've done exactly that. DeMar DeRozan, even though he's kind of taken a step back in his attacking mentality, I feel like he's played better this season than he did last year 
whether it's distributing the basketball, being a leader for these young guys, Keldon Johnson has just exploded onto the scene. I mean, he is so fun to watch. I, I feel like he's really broken out this year and proven that he could be a guy for them to build around. But you mentioned all the names, the young talent. DeJounta Murray is really playing up to what we thought he would be. Uh, Keldon Johnson has been awesome this year. Lonnie Walker has shown some really good signs. Derek White has been injured, but we've seen from him in the past some really good signs. And Devin Vassell, there's a couple more, but I really love what they're doing, the guys they're bringing in, how they're building things, and it's just the Spurs. Like, it, it sounds like ridiculous to say, but that's just what they do. They know how to bring in talent, and they have the perfect system to develop it. I don't know how much longer Pop has got, but... He, he's setting them up perfectly for whoever his successor is. Maybe it's Becky Hammond. I think it will be history. Becky Hammond. And she's, I hey, thought it would be Tim Duncan, but he stepped down. So now I think it would probably be Becky Hammond. Becky Hammond has been – people speak glowingly of her in the NBA. Like everything you oh, hear really about good. her is great. So I, I would be excited to see that. And supposedly she has really taken well to Pop's system. So maybe it wouldn't be that much of a difference. Obviously, it's going to be a huge difference losing one of the greatest coaches of all time. But keeping that same system in line and having all this young talent, they are only headed up, and I would buy stock in them right now. And I can guarantee you'll cash in on it five years from now. You know, Maybe they're not back like the dynasty they were, but I think they're going to become right up there with those top Western Conference teams in the next few years. I think the transition that Greg Popovich had to make from dynasty to playoff team to now coaching these young players, I think it's been great. I think it it, it shows that the fact that how good he is as a coach. I think this team, it's it predicates itself on not turning the ball over. I think defensively they've been really, really good this year, and they're always going to have that in them. DeMar DeRozan, like you said, has taken that backseat to be more of a playmaker. He's evolved his game. Still that mid-range deadly shooter, but he's also become that playmaker for that team. Doesn't need to take as many shots as he's used to or be erratic. That's good. DeJounte Murray has finally, you know, he's been healthy. He's been that playmaker, that defensive stopper for them at the guard spot. Keldon Johnson, you know, coming out of Kentucky, Calipari used to talk about him a lot, how he worked hard. He was a hard worker. He was always going to be gritty. And you see it in the league right now. He's a great finisher. He's got his jump shot up, and he could play defense. This team is built on guys who were pretty slept on in the draft. A lot of guys who was pretty slept on, Devin White, DeJounte Timmer, even Keldon Johnson. He was a lottery pick, but he was slept on. And they just built themselves up in a, not a small market, but, you know, a quiet market, and they got better. And now this team is definitely competing. I remember last year, people didn't – they counted L.A. and De- DeMar DeRozan out. And now this year, you see these two guys being that veteran – having that veteran leadership for this team. And I think it's going to be really good down the stretch. They still got some young guys on the team, Lonnie Walker, Lucas Simonic. They're good players, and this team is going to be really good. And they're, they're going to have some cap next year too, so look out. If I'm not mistaken, Dejounte Murray wasn't a lottery pick. He was the 27th pick. Uh, yeah, in the he draft, wasn't. He wasn't a lot. He was actually yeah. a project. He wasn't supposed to play yeah. his first couple of years, and he's been awesome. Yeah, so they've been really great at drafting. Credit to R.C. Buford. He's been one of the best general managers in the NBA. In well, you can you probably say the past decade or past two decades, he's been phenomenal. Very quietly, too. Like, people don't really talk about the Spurs, even when they were, like, yeah, Tim they, Duncan, yeah. Tony Parker, Monty Ginobili, like, because they weren't personalities, and obviously that plays in the media, but San Antonio has always done a really great think, job. I think that's what team. they look for in the draft, you know, getting not exactly. guys who went out that personality, just guys who are great, going to work hard, come in every day, and that's why they're where they're at right now. Even if they don't, if they flop out, I still think – the young talent they have is good enough where they're going to be good 
in long stretch, regardless exactly. if it's Becky Hammond or Greg Popovich. Yeah, like part of me, of course, I don't want to see Greg Popovich go because he's one of the greatest basketball minds to ever coach a game. But I think Becky Hammond is going to be that next head coach for the Spurs. She's going to make history because she's going to be the first woman's head coach Lit. in the NBA. And I think she will be fantastic for them. The Spurs, you know, it's really a win-win situation. They could try and trade DeRozan at the deadline or keep him. Personally, I would keep him and try to make a playoff push. But if you make the playoffs, great. You give your young guys experience in the postseason. If you don't, now you get a chance to be in the lottery and get a take and get a you have a chance to get to take one of these top guys. And, and I remember when they played Denver. You know, Devin White blossomed in that role against Denver in that playoff series when they took him to seven. So you know, you can get some type of performance from one of your young guys if they make the playoffs. So it's always good to make the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's always good. You look at the that, that's the same thing that happened with the Boston Celtics. When Isaiah Thomas and then we're there, Jalen Brown, Terry Rozier were the young players there. Just making the playoffs helped them develop tremendously. That's why I'm always under the impression it's better to make the playoffs than to not because that experience is unmatched. There's nothing like a playoff atmosphere. And I think this year, especially because the Spurs are one of the best teams in terms of IQ, they take advantage of teams that, that aren't that smart, honestly. They can, they're going to get rack up a lot of wins, and they've been a much improved road team. Is that due to them being better and maturing or or just not having fans in the stands? I'm not sure which one it is, but I think they're going to be fine, and they have a really bright future, yeah. and I'm high on Vassell. And one of the things we talked about with the Nets was the lack of effort. That's something you're never going to see from the Spurs, just because Greg Popovich is on his guys. His accountability level is higher than probably any other coach in the NBA, and also... They have a really young core that's providing right now. So it's not like, you know, outside of DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, who obviously need to take some nights for rest here and there, these guys have that youthful exuberance. So I think they're going to be a really fun team to watch down the stretch here the rest of the regular season. And Mm -hmm. I I think they're going to end up being a playoff team. Now the next player we're going to talk about is Carmelo Anthony. Um, I'm not sure what day it was, but I'm pretty, or what team it was. It's slipping by me right now, but Carmelo Anthony passed Oscar Robertson for 12th all-time on the scoring list. Carmelo Anthony now has 26,711 career points. The past four games, he has had three games with 20-plus points, and up coming up and coming in the list is 11, Hakeem Olajuwon. He has 26,946 points. 10 is Elvin Hayes. He has 27,313 points. Nine is Moses Malone. He has 20, 27,409 points. And eight is Shaq. He has 28,596 points. Call me crazy, but I think that Carmelo can reach eighth all time when it's all said and done and pass Shaq. Right now, he I believe he's two thousand like 1,800 points away from passing Shaq. I think if he plays two to three more seasons, he could get that. At the end of this season, I think he'll probably be at 10th uh, all-time, in my opinion. For me, Carmelo Anthony's career has been one of the most underappreciated careers in NBA history because a lot of this has been narrative-driven. He's not a good teammate. When he went to OKC, he got a lot of backlash when he said he didn't want to come off the bench he got wrongfully bl- wrongfully blamed for a lot of the things that happened in New York 
when Phil Jackson was trying to force a triangle system on all the players and none of them agreed it worked. I mean, if you look at the rosters of the Knicks when Carmelo was there, the starting lineups were absolutely abysmal. After 2014, the lineups were absolutely abysmal. But with all that being said, he gave Knicks fans the best year that they've had in a long time, myself included, in 2012-2013 when we were second seed. I still remember the garden roaring <laughs> when he hit a shot in front of Luol Deng's face. And then we beat them in overtime. Carmelo Anthony is huh? one of those guys that, have, 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 that gave the Knicks so many great moments. And his career is getting underappreciated because... We look at the efficiency numbers. We look at his recent history. I mean, you look at now, people don't even think Melo is Melo. They think Melo is La Melo. So, <laughs> you know, there are a lot of people that are very disrespectful to Car- Carmelo Anthony, but they do not realize how great this guy was when he was at his best. He had 16 straight scoring seasons of 20-plus points or more. Not a lot of guys are doing that. Yeah, and when you look at our generation, I would say of like – you know, starting with LeBron and talking about, like, LeBron, Kobe, Dwayne Wade, those guys, a lot of them kind of got their ride into the sunset. And I feel like Carmelo really hasn't had that. He's still playing a role for the Trailblazers, and he's been an important part of that team. But the the real point where things went awry with his legacy talk, I guess you could say, is when Phil Jackson came to New York and that whole situation started to get messy And he took a lot of the blame, like you said, because one, he was the face of the franchise at the time. And two, the New York media is always looking for a scapegoat. Carmelo was the easiest guy to pinpoint. And the New York media wanted to trust at that point in time, Phil Jackson as a plant. We saw eventually that did not pan out. And then obviously he bounces around the league and no matter what it may be, it seems like every stop there is an issue. And now he's kind of found a home in Portland where he's finding his role, but that missed time it's kind of hard to make up for that in some fans' eyes, especially young kids growing up now through the game that didn't get to see him as mellow early in New York or when he was in Denver, you know, whereas maybe a guy like Dwayne Wade where he got that opportunity to win championships with LeBron and then the tail end of his career after the championships, he was kind of this beloved figure. Carmelo really never got that status, and I feel like that's going to be the point in his legacy where we turn back and we kind of wish that we had given him his flowers more while he was here when we look back and say, man, he, he was awesome when he was with the Knicks and the Nuggets. You ever uh, watched the Mello and um, Stephen A. Smith interview? He actually talked about he could have went to the uh, to play with them in the Heat. Yeah, he could have went to Miami, but he wanted to do things on his own. Yeah, he talked about it. I um, like Dame now. <laughs> um, underappreciated. You know, I- when he didn't come to Chicago, I was pretty pissed to play with D-Rose. <laughs> I won't lie. I was very upset because we could have really realistically won the chip. You don't think he's a Hall of Famer? Whoa. Oh. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. It's crazy. He's a, you said that a, first. No, ballot. no. What I say is I don't think he's a first ballot. That's what I, I said. I think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't, I don't think he's but a first I ballot. But I also think the NBA Hall of Fame is a little bit uh, generous with their Hall of Fame. Yeah, when I think of first ballot Hall of Famers, I think of like LeBron, MJ, Steph, Katie. Kobe, Shaq, Kareem, Hakeem. I really don't think Melo should be in the talks with those type of guys. But there is some guys in the first ballot Hall of Famers. Was Gary Payne the first ballot? I don't think he should be first ballot. Was Dwayne Wade a first ballot Hall of Famer? (sighs) No, Dwayne Wade is. Dwayne Wade is definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I'm saying, like, I don't, like, 
So, so it's the champ. Do you think it's the championships that make that separation? Like, is it because Dwayne Wade has those championships that make that big of a difference? And I personally, I think Dwayne Wade is a first ballot Hall of Famer too. But I also, I think, think not only the championship, I think his run. And one of the championships was so defining in NBA history. 2006? Yeah. Seven. Six. 2006. It was so Charles defining. Charles Barkley was is a yeah, see, first um, ballot. He's an MVP. You know, so. it's, just, it's, it's just tough. It's, he, he, it's he, tough. He got caught in such a difficult time in the league where there was so much talent. And he put himself in a position trying to do it all himself that didn't reflect on him well in the end. Which is unfortunate because you got to respect, like... I feel like this is something that we could see happen to Dame, too, if he stays in Portland. But Gary Payton is. You didn't ask me if he was or wasn't. No, I'm saying he oh, is. Oh, yeah, I knew he was. Was he a first ballot Hall Kevin Mutombo is as well. See, all right, yeah, Melo's going to get it. Alonzo Mourning, Tracy yeah, McGrady, Ray Allen. Um, I think Melo's in the Tracy McGrady category. Like, that's I, I, would say, I would say for Dame, he's going to get like the extra credit of being in Portland his whole career. But Melo kind of had that same idea of, like, even though he left Denver, he went to New York and tried to do it on his own. And as much as, like, we respect that because we saw it go down, like, the winner's right history, and people are going to look back on that and not realize what he was doing. That's you know what why I'm saying? I, I've always said this. I've said, you know, when people want to talk about Asterix, Asterix is not a real thing. It's not a real idea because 10 years from now, all that it's going to show next to the player is that they have a championship. Yep. That's all it's going to show. That's why I think Asterix is a lame argument because we don't go digging up in the 80s and how Magic won all of his rings and stuff like that. We just know he won a championship. So that's why when Harden gets his, you know, it's not, it's going to, it, people are just going to know that he's a champion. Yo, give Melo his topic, bro. Like, this is, we talk about Melo. I know, but I'm just saying, Melo, you know, he had a chance to go to Miami. He didn't want to do it. He chose to go Could've that route. Prime D Rose, bro. He could have chose that route. He could have went to Chicago for less money. I remember that going down. He chose to stay loyal with the Knicks because he wanted to win with New, win in New York. And quite honestly, I think that the, a lot of bad personnel decisions went down in New York that cost him. But Melo in his prom, I don't think they're – it's very hard to argue how many players are better than him as a scorer when he was at his prime. He was one of the best scorers that this league has ever seen. Yeah, no doubt. And, and it reflects in the all-time scoring list. I mean, you see it. It's just, it, it's really unfortunate because, like you said, the asterisk is, is, is a ridiculous thing. When we look back at these Warriors teams, which I think is like the biggest asterisk argument, people, are gonna, uh, people aren't going to say, oh, wow, like they teamed up. As much as they're going to say, man, like that's three of, of the best shooters, best scorers in NBA history on the same team. That must have been incredible to watch. So looking back on it for people, it's going to be, Unfortunate for Melo that he didn't go and ring chase, but that's him, and, and you got to respect it. And I think people from I, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but people from this era are always going to be the old heads to say, "Oh, you don't know about Melo, like you didn't see him." I, yeah, I, I get that. Like as a, I respect Melo's game. I think what he did for Denver and the Knicks was phenomenal. I, I used to be on the forefront of watching him on the Knicks when we used to have battles with the Knicks at the Garden and we used to come to Chicago. Like, I remember those battles vividly when he used to destroy Luol Dang. I, I remember those vividly. So I, I respect his game. In terms of me saying, like, he won't be a – I don't think he should be a first battle Hall of Famer. It's just my pr- way of looking at a first battle Hall of Famer. I think those are the guys that, that were the alpha, 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 elite of the elite. But I do think he's a Hall of Famer. 
underappreciated? Yeah, I do think he's going to be underappreciated because people, it's the same thing I think with KG. People forget pre-Boston. People, like, they don't, they fail to look up pre-Boston. And I think that's what's going to happen with Melo. People are going to just see, oh, the Knicks, okay, he was good for a couple seasons and then he flopped. People aren't going to remember pre-Denver with him and AI or him and Chauncey Billups and him and J.R. Smith. Like, they was he was dominating those San Antonio Spurs, those Dallas teams. People are just going to forget that. Yeah, his legacy is going to end up getting killed, unfortunately, by not killed because he's still going to have a good legacy, but his overall legacy is going to be hurt by unfortunate circumstances, whether it's the league around him or front office, front office decisions and loyalty to a fault almost. So it's unfortunate, but... You know, anybody who watched him knows how good he really was. I didn't even realize. Aren't you a Seton Hall fan? This isn't a Duke sweatshirt. Oh, okay. This is my high school. Uh Oh. You mentioned the Golden State Warriors earlier and about people talking about their asterisks or whatever, the asterisk argument. Draymond Green currently is, his stats have diminished (laughs) significantly, and a trade popped up recently between the Spurs and the Warriors that kind of caught Twitter by storm and that trade was Green and Oubre to the Spurs for DeRozan, Patty Mills and a 2021 first round pick and I'll say this right now Draymond Green is averaging five points five rebounds and about eight assists per game he's shooting 35% from the field which is completely awful 19% from three, which is so bad. <laughs> and his three-point percentage has been dropping down every year since 2015. And his PER is one of the worst on the teams. The only ones that are worse are Nico Mannion and Brad Wanamaker. Obrey has a higher PER? Yes. And, and uh. for me, it's kind of weird because Draymond Green is one of those players where he's so much better than what any stat shows. He's kind of like a P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker is just so <laughs> good, Tucker's like him. but the stats don't show how good he is. And for him to have one of the worst PERs on the team and for Andrew Wiggins and Oubre to have better PERs than him, I guess kind of show how, at times, analytics can really um, be a flawed argument because Draymond Green is so much more impactful than Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre, especially the Golden State when you watch Golden State play, there are very few possessions where the offense is not ran by Draymond Green. He's getting everybody in position. And analytics cannot measure defense to an extent, leadership, toughness, and the ability you have as an on-court coach. To me, I feel like this trade would be ridiculous. There is no reason to make it. Draymond fits what they want to do. And Golden State is in no hurry to try to win games. Steve Kerr has said that they're not going to play, uh, they're not going to stretch out Curry's minutes to try to chase wins. So everybody knows Golden State is not winning championship this year. They can maybe get into the playoffs, but they're not worried about that. They're worried about getting Clay healthy and trying to mesh this team together. And Draymond just brings so much to the game. And the stats just don't show how good he is. Yeah, the the one statement that you made that I think summed it up purposely is PER or any other stat can't measure leadership and uh home court coaching. Yeah. Toughness. Yeah. It's think about it this way. When they brought in Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins, people thought it was a huge win for them. And we saw how much they struggled to start the year. And what was the thing that Steph Curry said that everybody latched onto? 
We need guy. We need smart basketball players. We need guys with high basketball IQs. Steve Kerr is a great coach, but he's very set in his system, and his system works incredibly well. And Draymond Green, despite what any stat says, is an incredibly important piece to that system. And although the numbers will be very easy to replace, his role in that offense is something that very few people in the league can do. And to replace it would be a very tall task, and I don't think anybody in that trade covers it, and I don't see how they fill that spot moving forward. I think he's a huge piece to their championship recipe, and you know a lot depends on Clay coming back healthy, obviously, and you know adding to this roster still. But I think it would be a huge mistake to to deal off Draymond Green. I don't care how many points he's not averaging, what he's shooting from the field. This team is a machine. And pieces will come in and pieces will go out. We've seen it over the past couple of years. But there are a couple of pieces that can't move, and I think he's one of them. Sorry. My bad. Um, <clears throat> that trade was horrible. <laughs> that was a bad. DeMar DeRozan and Patty Mills? In a 2021 first-round pick. And they're in the playoffs. If they were in the playoffs, I'd have, I'd have said pull the trigger. Um no, I, I wouldn't do it. I think Draymond, as soon as Draymond got back, you saw the defensive adjustments. You saw how impactful he was on the defensive end. He's their primary playmaker, and Joel hit it on the head. The few plays when he's not being the playmaker, it's just Steph Iso. You know, it's just Steph running an ISO. He's probably got the high hand. He's going to pull a three from half court, or he's going to do something wild like he always does. But Draymond runs the offense. He is the engine that goes. And it's interesting that you brought out those stats because watching Draymond play – I noticed, yeah, he doesn't take shots, but his awareness on the court offensively and defensively, you know, setting screens, screens. I know screens aren't really a stat that they really process a lot, but setting screens, making that extra, extra pass, directing people. You know, his, his the, Wiseman's development is very key, and I think Draymond being there has been helping his development, telling him where he needs to be, helping him on defense, and I think that's key for him. I think keeping Draymond – is the right thing to do just because this team isn't done. You know, Eric Pascal is going to need Draymond. I feel like James Wiseman down the line is going to need Draymond. Steph is going to need Draymond. You know, Steph is scoring 35 points a game, but who's most of the per- who's the person passing the ball? Draymond. Who's the person setting him the screens? Draymond. Draymond's the only guy on that court that knows Steph better than Clay, better than Katie. He probably knows him better than Katie, but he's the only guy that knows where Steph wants to be, knows where Steph's going to shoot, and you need that come down the stretch because he's also the guy that knows where Clay's going to want to be too. So I think for championship purposes next year, I don't think they're looking at a championship this year, but championship purposes next year, you got to keep those three guys and at least make one more run at it because Draymond still has a lot left in the tank. I think the Golden State Warriors are one of those teams that function off of high ethics. And because of that, I think we're possibly going to see Clay, Steph, and Draymond retire as Golden State Warriors they're not going to want to go anywhere. I don't think Golden State, after what they've done for that organization, is going to want to let them go. And I think to trade Draymond Green for, with all due respect, an aspiring contract and DeMar DeRozan is disrespectful, <laughs> especially after what Draymond Green has done for that organization. I don't think that the, the trade makes them better either. I, you know, DeMar DeRozan has been a better playmaker. He's not, a bad, he's not he's, he's a horrible defender. He takes a bunch of mid-range shots. He's going to work in ISO. And it's really hard to build that chemistry with Steph Curry. We've seen right now, you know, 
Wiggins and Ubre. You already have Ubre. Rosen can't shoot. That's another two guys that can't shoot. Wiggins and Ubre, they don't know half of the time where Curry is to try to pass on the ball. There's a lot of things going on, and I just don't think that trade makes any sense for Bat- Patty Mills. You know, I guess he's a good shooter, but for Draymond Green, I hell no, I wouldn't do it. Nah, one of their most valuable skills, obviously, like the shooting is the most important thing, and you can quantify that. But one thing that you can't quantify and it's been one of the most valuable pieces of their franchise, is the continuity. Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green, as much as pieces move around them, those pillars stay in place, and you can deal with growing pains elsewhere. But you need those guys in place to make this team go the way it has over the past half a decade. And so I agree. I think it would be ridiculous to to trade Draymond Green unless you're getting a haul. And even then... You're messing with the foundation of the franchise, and, and then you got to turn it into a whole different system because there are not a lot of guys that can come in and do what Draymond Green does. And most of them that can do it are not going to be available to you. I think this is just another uh, another uh, example of analytics kind of taking over the eye test. You know, you watch Draymond. If you watch the Warriors play, you know what Draymond do. I think just looking at the stats, you'll be like, oh, he's probably trash. Yeah. And I think most analytics people who are really, like, invested into the game would tell you that Draymond can't be quantified by analytics. Really, the people that don't realize Draymond's impact would be casual fans that would just read the box score. The last segment of this show is going to be about the Utah Jazz and Donovan Mitchell. Right now, the Utah Jazz are 20-5. and That's their best start since 1996 and the 1997 season. Talk about it. And in that season, they made the NBA Finals. And lost They're the first seed in the West. They're a half a game above the Lakers in the Western Conference, and they have won 14 of their last 15 games. But as of recent, Donovan Mitchell has been on a tear. He scored 30 points against the Hornets. He scored 27 points and had 11 assists against the Pacers. And then as of recently, on primetime on ESPN, he had 36 points and 9 assists against the Celtics and hit a, a, a flurry of threes to close out the game against the Celtics. And the question is, is Donovan Mitchell becoming a superstar right before our eyes or right in front of our eyes? Is he, is he, be, is he ascending into superstardom? You know, <laughs> are we sure we want to have... <laughs> Super no, I, I think I think I think like for me, this is just for me personally. I'm gonna just speak for my thought. I like to break up superstars into tier one and tier two categories. I think the league is very expanded this time, and I think you can't like like guys like I would say Jimmy Butler or like guys like Dame. I would throw in like superstar two categories, like guys who can lead your team to the playoffs consistently, good or bad, and lead your team to a high like a Western Conference Finals or Eastern Conference Finals but can't, like, be the best player in the championship team. That's how I would look at it. I think Donovan Mitchell is definitely ascending into that Tier 2 superstar role just for the simple fact of his rookie year. You know, he walked in. They were a playoff team. He was their best offensive player. Year 2, stayed consistent. He became an all-star. He was also their best offensive player. Now, this year, I think his stats aren't, like, they're, like, kind of, like, similar to Paul George's in a sense, but I think his impact on the court, his ability to be that, he's turned into a really good ball handler and playmaker for that team. Defensively, he's still getting better. He kind of like he kind of plays like D-Wade. Like he's like our modern-day D-Wade in a sense. But I think he definitely, with him ascending into the MVP conversation, 
I think he's definitely ascending into that superstar role. But to be a superstar, you got to have like, like, like for example, Paul George when he had that series against LeBron in Miami, and then after the next year he took that superstar leap. I think Donovan Mitchell, for us to give him that superstar title, has to make that Western Conference Finals and also be a big contributor to that. I think last year against the Nuggets when we saw those two fifty-point games, we kind of saw the little creep up. You know, he was ascending into that guy. I think this year he has to do it in a deeper playoff run. Yeah, and I wouldn't say he's a superstar just yet, but at 24 years old, only four seasons in the league, being a pretty undersized two guard, he's on even better trajectory than you ever could have imagined with him coming into the league. And I was pretty high on Donovan Mitchell out of Louisville, but I never could have imagined him being at this point in his career at this high of a level. And like I said, at 24 I don't think it's a stretch at all to say he will become a superstar. And I'm pretty strict with my definition of a superstar. Like, I think it's like seven to ten guys, maybe. And I think he can get to that tier. The numbers aren't there just yet for what you would normally consider a superstar. But I think the game is kind of changing a little bit, especially with the way the Jazz play basketball. It's not really, uh, it's not really meant for somebody to, to boost their numbers, and, and it's obviously paying off for them. They're playing the best basketball in the league. Um, again, I don't think he's there yet, but I think he's well on the way, and I would I would say I'm more confident in him becoming a superstar than not becoming a superstar because that would mean he essentially flatlines where he is. I think he's one step away. Donovan Mitchell is an enigma to me because they listed him as six foot. But I was watching the ESPN broadcast, and he looked about two inches shorter than Jalen Brown. He didn't look like he was six foot. (laughs) Then I've seen pictures of him look like he's towering over Chris Paul, and Chris Paul is six foot. I think he's a strong six three. And then then I see pictures of Trey Young having a little bit of a height advantage over Donovan Mitchell. So I don't know what it is. Is he wearing something to boost his height in some (laughs) games? I'm not sure if he is. It's extremely uncomfortable, I can imagine. (laughs) He is an enigma to me because I really don't know what his height is. I don't think the listed height at six foot is his real height. I think he's taller than that. And even if he is, I mean, in the games, he looks taller than he that. He plays like he's 6'8". I don't know about that. I think he plays like he's about 6'5". He plays like D-Wade. Yeah, maybe yeah. I stretch it, but it, he plays much bigger than he is. Because he has long arms. The reason why I'm higher on Donovan Mitchell than I am on other volume scores, you can list the guys like Zach Levine and... Bradley Beal, like people think Bradley Beal is a superstar right now, and yeah, I've already addressed it multiple times. I don't think I don't think Brad is, and the reason why I have Donovan Mitchell and I'm higher on Donovan than I am on Devin Booker or Zach Levine or Brad Beal is because Donovan Mitchell has already proved himself in the playoffs. He came in the league as a rookie and led the Jazz to the playoffs and beat an OKC team that had Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmelo Anthony. Like, he's accomplished that. He's put a team on his back, and he's took them further. This season, he's averaging 24 points per game, four rebounds, five assists. He's shooting 42% from three, and that's the highest of his career. He's ha- he's averaging the same amount of points this year as he did last year, but last year he played, like, one more minute. It's not much, but it's still he's got more playing time, and now the offense has much more continuity. There is more passing within it, and as of recently, when Mike Conley has been out, Donovan Mitchell's assist numbers have been getting better. When you compare Don, Donovan Mitchell to the Levine, Beal, and Booker, 
I think Donovan is the better passer. He is the better defender and scorer. I think he's the best. I think he is the best player. Yeah. But then when when you look at right now, his playoff averages, his first his first season as a rookie, he averaged 27. I mean, no, his playoff average for his career is 27 points per game. As a rookie, he averaged 24.4 against OKC and against Houston the very next round. He averaged 24 points per game for the playoffs. Then his second season, he had a down series against Houston. He only averaged 21.4 points per game. He shot really bad. But then this past season against Denver, he took that and made an astronomical jump to 36.3 points per game against Denver, two 50-point games. He was phenomenal. And to me, Levine has not done that in the playoffs. Devin Booker's not done that in the playoffs. Bradley Beal has not done that in the playoffs. Donovan Mitchell has proved himself at this young age. And that's why now that you see the Utah Jazz ascending they're the number one seed donovan mitchell we can say is the best scorer on that team even though i think it's a collection i think you when you think about the utah jazz you think donovan mitchell then you think robert i think he has proven himself and right now this year i have him as an all-star starter like because the team has been winning because he's been playing great I think he deserves to be a starter in the All-Star game. I think he'll definitely be an All-Star at least. But when you look at his numbers, I think the 24 points per game number is very interesting because I wasn't here for the Bradley Beal discussion, but I think I said this to you guys on the side. If Bradley Beal went to a team like the Miami Heat, a contender, I would see him somewhere in the 24 to 26 points per game range. I said 22, 24. I, I, I would have him around like 24, 25 points a game. Devin Booker is a guy we consider in that same category. He's been like a 27-point-per-game scorer the last two years. Now he's on a contender with Chris Paul. He's down to 23.8. Bradley Beal, in his days with John Wall, their best days as a team, he was at 22.6, Uh, 25.6. Donovan Mitchell right now is at 24 points per game. We haven't really seen Zach Levine on that winner, no offense. <laughs> but, like, I think that that is a very solid number on a winning team because you need to have good teammates around you, and it's not really beneficial. It's very rare to find guys that could put up extreme volume numbers and still carry a team. And I think that putting up 24 isn't exactly an indictment on what you are as a player, but I'd much rather average 24 on a winning team than average 27, 28 and not be a playoff team. So... I don't think that 24 number is an indictment on what Donovan Mitchell is right now. I just think because based off his team and how, you know, Mike Conley has gotten better, you know, Bojan Bogdanovich, Bogdan Bogdanovich, he's back. Joe Inglis is back. He's putting up efficient numbers. Inglis. Call him Inglis. I know. Uh, Jordan Clarkson's going to be the Jordan Clarkson, yeah. Like, he, his team has stepped up offensively, so it doesn't need, he doesn't really need to score that much, but the fact that he's scoring 24 points a game on a stacked team like that shows the credit and how good he really is. But the thing about it is I think when Donovan Mitchell, he plays in prime time, he performs. You look, mm-hmm. you saw it against Boston, and after in the broadcast, Shaq wanted to take credit <laughs> for it, but before Shaq said the statement, Donovan Mitchell was averaging the same amount of points. He was hoping he regardless. After when he, Shaq made the statement about Donovan Mitchell, he's been balling and because he's proven himself already by leading a team to the playoffs and having good playoff performances, I think he's ascending into that superstardom. I look, I was on ESPN.com, and I was searching up Donovan Mitchell's stats. I went on the career projections. And the career projections right now, this is a list. First is Ben Gordon. That's like the, the most similar he is to. He does ben play Gordon. a little bit like Ben Gordon. Second was Ray Allen. Third was Levine. 
fourth was Kyrie, fifth was Brandon Knight, sixth was Tony Parker, seven was Kobe, eight was Gilbert Arenas, and then Dame was. And what there. is this? That is an incredibly volatile list. Tony <laughs> Parker? It's a it's a uh, career projections <laughs> Those list. Those are the ten guys. How do yes. we go from Ray there, Allen? There, it's it's nine guys. It's not ten because oh. I just listed it because there was another guy who's like an old timer that I don't even know. What's his name? I don't know. I forgot. Uh. So I didn't mention it. Tony Parker, though? We go to Ray Allen, to Brandon Knight, to Kobe. To Kyrie, to Kobe. To Kobe. Yeah, like, what? <laughs> no, but they put I, Brandon Knight? Yeah, Brandon Knight. I, I would say right now he's really not at that Knight. superstar level, but at 24 years old, I would feel very confident buying stock in Kobe him becoming Bryant. a superstar player. Brandon Knight. <laughs> There's no denying that the Utah Jazz have been really great this season. And now I think this was a great episode. We're going to end it off on that segment. It's a long uh, episode. Yes, we talked about a lot of things. We we, we addressed our viral video, uh, and we answered back to Bradley Veal's wife and her comments on us. This episode has been two hours and 23 minutes long, 12 topics in total. We talked about a lot of things, a lot of topics. We're probably going to be going live more because I finally learned how to use this setup and the setup that I have. So because of that, we'll be going live more. But we appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. And if you're listening to the podcast version of this podcast, thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe as it helps us grow. And also, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We only have 12 reviews right now, and I think we should have more. So guys, run that number up. Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next time. This is BJ Kissel from KC Sports Network. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as our shows, are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. It's something we've actually done locally with our network in Kansas City as well. We're all stronger together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised more than $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which will in turn help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire.